I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzola, Sam Monson. We're here on a Monday morning reviewing all of the Week 5 action. Yeah, technically we're not wearing the same thing, but it's very similar. It looks know? like it on camera, I just yeah. noticed that. Uh-huh. Yours is blue, mine's black though. Yeah. The hoodie. I just throw a hoodie on Monday morning. I, I mean, I do have the patented Leinster jersey on under this, which I was yeah. planning on taking off when I got in here, but I just it's cold. I haven't. It's cold, yeah. yeah. You've been rocking the Leinster jersey all over the place, like Kay Adams show and everything. Is that right? Different Leinster jerseys, but yeah. Yeah, okay. That one was the vintage one, you know, the old The school. vintage. Yeah. yeah can't get she's giving you a platform to uh, push your propaganda. Yeah. That's great. Uh-huh. It's great. I mean, Appreciate look, that's one of the finest jerseys that anybody has ever worn anywhere. So you got to break it out when you can. Well, we're going we're gonna to spend the first two hours talking Thursday night football. We're going to talk Broncos, Colts, 12 to 9. No. No, we're not. No. I mean, I won't be. I'm saying the people want to talk about that game. You can talk about it all you want. I will leave. <laughs> all right, we won't touch on. We did do that on the daily. We did that on Friday morning. We touched on the 12 to 9 Colts Broncos game last yeah. Thursday night. But we're here to talk about the Sunday action. You ready to go? That game was so bad. The Thursday night game. So bad. It was. Bad. I mean, it was so bad. Former NFL players were tweeting about it. Negative. Bad NFL players, yeah. like the guys, wor- guys who had had similar primetime outings. <laughs> let's just say, guys with extensive experience of being bad were saying this game was disgusting. Is Ben DiNucci on the media circuit now? No, because he's tweeting it out like, "Hey, if you want more of the Ben DiNucci experience, was that really him? Did he get hacked?" I, I'm pretty sure it was Ben DiNucci, but I don't think he's doing it because he's got any kind of football media career. I think Ben DiNucci was just sitting there watching this crap and being like. This is a terrible this is game. Bad. We've got two formerly high-level Take it from somebody that knows. This was awful. Anyway, go listen to the Daily if you want to sulk with us. All right, let's go into yesterday's action. Let's start in London. New York Giants 27, the Green Bay Packers 22, and one of the games of the week, Sam. Yeah. The Giants with an incredible comeback. Funny we'd start here. Uh, we're just going in order, the Sunday games. Okay. Here I am saying it's going to be one of the games of the week, and of course I picked the Packers. Look, I picked all the wrong games. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We're not going to get into the picks. You did. Just saying, the Giants pull it off again. They move to 4-1. and one. The lowly Packers fall to 3-2. and two. The Giants, a powerhouse in the NFC. I will say, an impressive win for the Giants. Their first real impressive win? Or are we going to look back at the Titans one, too? It's an impressive win yeah. for the Giants. Yeah. So- First point. I'm not even going to call them the worst 4-1 four, four team in history. I'm not going to do it. They deserve this one. They earned it. The first point is, you're right, you, you, we both had pretty bad weeks when it comes to picking, certainly against the spread. You I'm just flipping dismally a so. I'm Last night, Sunday Night Football gave you your second win of the week. Um, yeah, so you're right. This game did end up becoming, I guess it was one of the games of the week, right? You would have had the Saints-Seahawks was one. Yep. The Browns, uh, Chargers, two. Yeah, this is probably three, right? Yeah, you got Eagles, Sunday Cardinals, football, maybe. And Sunday Night Football. Ones. So sure, it became one of the games of the week. That's fine. I still don't quite understand why. Um, 
What like, don't you understand? Green Bay had this game in hand, comfortably. We're the better team. And then that stopped happening. First off, Green, yeah, Green Bay's offense hits these lulls. I, I don't completely understand Which isn't, the, the like, Packers this isn't offense. a this-year thing. Like, right. it's done that for a while, like, years now. Where it's like, they're cruising along, they're doing fine, and then the offense just stops working. This was the game. So, week one, we said, this was the game that maybe Packers fans feared without Devontae Adams. And I don't think Packers fans ever feared. They just, uh, they always talked themselves into Aaron Rodgers is going to carry them. I thought week one you saw a little bit of that, and I think you saw a little bit of it yesterday. In last week's game, the Packers felt very, their passing game was very low percentage. They were playing the Patriots. They saw a lot of man coverage. Rodgers was kind of chucking it up deep. He made a couple spectacular throws on third and long, and it worked. These low percentage, let's rely on Aaron Rodgers to throw a dime. It felt like they said, okay, let's get back to scheming up offense here early in the game. And they did. They they do a nice job of the horizontal game. But this was also, that's what they did on Thursday Night Football last year when they didn't have Devontae Adams. It's a whole lot of misdirection and horizontal stuff and yak plays. And But then at the end of the day, it's like, okay, where are the big plays from this Packers offense? Aaron Jones is tough to, tough to tackle in the run game, and so is A.J. Dillon. And you've got, you know, Christian Watson's your designated jet sweep guy, and you've got you know Aaron Rodgers getting getting rid of the ball and all this horizontal yak stuff. But there's no the d- downfield passing attack was negligible, and the intermediate that ten to nineteen range, it's just not there for the Packers. And then you have Rodgers; he's got a fourth quarter comeback opportunity, back to back batted passes, all out blitz on the last play, batted when uh, there was there was Wink Martindale going after it, so. Um, the Packers offense, I think, to me, is, is, is really, really good, but missing pieces. You know, they're good, but missing pieces, which is attacking the entire field. This felt like two very limited offenses. Like, both teams, particularly schematically, were not doing an awful lot, and they were kind of relying on just hopefully their good players will carry them through. And for the Giants, that was Saquon Barkley largely. Daniel Jones had a really good game generally. Had one pretty ugly throw where he left it behind a guy and could have been picked off. Um, but generally, this felt like two offenses that were kind of struggling for slightly different reasons, but a, a general lack of impact playmakers across the board being the main one. Like, you know, giant score with a double reverse tight end run type of thing. You know, I, so, I, well, listen, the whole NFL, because we'll get to Sunday Night Football in about three to four hours here. The whole NFL is talking about so the Bengals in the red zone last night on Sunday Night Football, it's like, oh, they're pulling out Philly special. They're pulling out all this ridiculous stuff. Every, every team seems to be trying a whole lot of creativity in the red zone. So the Giants with, a, as you mentioned, trickeration to get the ball into your tight end's hands mm-hmm. in, space, in space. If that fails, it's like, what are these idiots doing? But it works. I mean, but it feels like the Giants need that, right? Yeah. They well, need that. They don't have the personnel. Sorry, I interrupted you, but... Carry on. But they need that, and both teams actually in this game did a pretty good job of red zone plays. Yeah. Really. We've reached the point in the season now where, you know, week five, we're past the point of instant one-game overreactions that's causing, you know, wild swings, in your opinion, of teams. So, you know, week two, oh, teams 0-2, they're done. And then two weeks later, well, at 500, they're okay. And then, you know, all that kind of stuff. So we've week five, we should be just about past that. But now we're at the point where there's a few teams where their record feels weird relative to what 
what your largely what your priors were of them, but also kind of what you've seen from them so far this season. The Giants are one of those to me. So they have the four and one. They have two wins against quote unquote good teams. The Titans, okay, they're struggling relative to a year ago. We we expected them to regress, but they're still not bad. And then Green Bay, who are still supposed to be the NFC North favorites, a team that's going to the playoffs, and you know they want to be a Super Bowl team with Aaron Rodgers, but that doesn't look too, too likely. Um, this game, to me, felt more like an indictment of Green Bay than it did an endorsement of the Giants. And because, I, I don't know, I think because I had a pretty low opinion of the Giants coming into this season, it's going to take more than I've seen from them for me to be actually convinced that this is a good football team as opposed to a team right now whose record flatters them like four and one this was a good win for them particularly you know Saquon Barkley went down with a shoulder injury came back in the game he's been playing fantastically the last couple of weeks Um, there were good things from this game but this to me felt more like one that Green Bay let get away and is a big red flag for their season more than it is hey the Giants are four and one they're a playoff team they're great like I still, I still don't think that this Giants team is particularly good, even though they've had a couple of good wins now. I, I feel like this is called tightening. Titans. It's like being like the Titans. Yeah. Pulling off these games that when you look at who's making the plays, they might not be the biggest name players, besides Barkley. I mean, they are doing a good job with Saquon Barkley. But I don't know what point you sort of determine whether you're right or wrong about that stuff. Like last year, all the way along, the Titans felt wrong. Like, well, they wanted that run, which was a really undeniable run of, like, those are that's a sequence of impressive wins against yeah. good opponents. I still don't think they're good. And then they got to the playoffs and immediately were kind of found out for not being that good. Now, okay, Derrick Henry got hurt and came back and wasn't really the same guy in that playoff, you know what I mean? So I don't know how much that factors in, but when you get to the end of the season, were you right or wrong about the Titans based off what happened? Like, we sort of felt all the way along they weren't that good and then once it actually mattered they weren't that good so were you right because you thought that or were you wrong because they kept winning despite what you thought exactly i don't know both but, yeah yeah That's i mean they, how i feel about the giants right now yeah i get it I, it is they are one of those teams if they can keep winning and, and look they still have to go through the rest of the buzzsaw that is the nfc east right now the five and oh eagles four and one cowboys you know the giants already lost to them and of course the giants sitting there at four and one the best teams the top teams in the NFC, 13-2 and two combined, one of those losses against each other. Um, it's okay to not believe this is sustainable for the Giants, but I, I think this said something about the Giants, though. The Packers, under Matt LaFleur with Aaron Rodgers, we've said it before, yeah, the offense will uh, hit these lulls, hit these stretches where they don't play well, but they usually beat the teams they're supposed to beat, the Packers. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying they've never been upset or anything like that, but, I mean, look, LaFleur's won like 80% of his games in three years. They usually win against teams that they're supposed to win against. And it looked like they were going to. They're up 10 at the half, and, and then they shut the Packers down other than a safety. In the second, 17-2 to two in the second half, Giants over the Packers. I, I think you have to give the Giants some credit. You know, individual player efforts. Darius Slayton did a really nice job. He just... He became their move-the-chains guy. I mean, that's the part that doesn't make sense, right? There's no flashy receiver. You know, it's like Richie James and Darius Slayton are making plays. What? There's rookie Daniel Bellinger at tight end, you know, getting him into space for random random touchdowns. That's why it doesn't make sense. Daniel Jones is playing 
he, he did play a good game in this outside like of a couple throws like you said that's the part that doesn't make sense but you know cracked down defensively and made the goal line stand Aaron Rodgers had a fourth quarter comeback attempt down seven and they shut it down like you got to give some credit to the Giants I think this was their most impressive win it wasn't just the Packers losing it it wasn't like what I the Chiefs against the Colts a couple weeks ago literally lost it they got a personal foul penalty on the last drive when it would have been yeah. shut down like there were individual play they had a drop touchdown the Chiefs the Chiefs lost that game to the Colts they handed it to them I don't think this was the Packers handing the game to the Giants in that same way it wasn't quite as bad but I still think it was the same vein of game um the other thing so it was interesting they were talking to Aaron Jones after the game he was like you know I would have bet quite a lot of money on two downs some combination of me and A.J. Dillon getting a yard at the end. But instead, we put the ball in the air twice, and they were both batted down, you know. You're saying this is a Calvin Ridley situation? No. He would have bet? I'm just saying it's a reasonable point to make that it feels like – I don't know. So there's a lot of red zone inefficiency recently, and a lot of it is teams getting creative and blah, blah. Like, why are teams going away from – there's a yard to go. We've got a pretty good running game. Run it. We don't have to do the thing that you kept, that you showed me, the Taysom Hill formation where we just line up every large human we have Can't wait to talk in the middle that. of the field and try and get the yard. Like, you don't have to line up that way when you run it on four. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can spread everybody out and still run the ball up the middle. And, that, in fact, that makes it easier. I tend to agree that if you went with any kind of spread formation and ran A.J. Dillon up the middle – is there any way you wouldn't gain a yard? I think you would. I agree. I, and I, yet, would use, I would use A.J. Dillon. And yet we put the ball in the air twice. Oh, man. I use the term air loosely because the first one was aimed like right at the shoulder pads of a defensive tackle. Yeah, true. Um, yeah, Aaron Jones, the running game. Like I said, the Packers, between the run game and the horizontal stuff, that was pretty good in this game. But uh, – something missing there so anyway i apologize to you for your for for criticizing your listing of this game as a game of the week it ended up being one of the games of the week though for the life of me i can't understand why i mean i'll just say on that thursday show i wasn't right about a whole lot of stuff but my (laughs) order of the games certainly can't that should be at least worth a win or something you want to win back for that yeah please give me a win did you know do you ever see this chart fourth quarter comeback percentage Look, I know, I know we're supposed to be anti-QB wins and all that stuff. Yeah. I, think it's, I think it's directionally right, Aren't though. Aren't there, like, isn't there multiple variants of that? Because somebody had one of those for, like, back when Peyton Manning and Tom Brady were in their, you know, direct competition pump. Like seven years Brady ago. Brady had, like, another seven careers at the back of that. Yeah. Um, you, there was that, that kept going along, and yet people would always disagree with it. And be like, no, that one's wrong. This is actually the real, like, aren't there multiple variants of this fourth quarter comeback crap? I mean, I'm sure there's a game off here and there, but this was basically accumulated. If you're down one score within eight and you have the ball, you have a chance to win the game. What's your record in those games? At any point in the fourth quarter. Yes, pretty sure. Now, something like the Bengals last night, Joe Burrow was down. He led them to the lead, and then they lost it. I think that still counts. So it's not. as a comeback? It doesn't count as a comeback. It's a loss, right? Um, I'm pretty sure. But either way. It's directionally good. So Brady's the best. Brady's not the best all time just in overall number, but in percentage because it goes to opportunities as well. Brady's won sure. over 
of his comeback attempts. And you got Mahomes up there and Peyton Manning's up there. And then there's some random names like Nick Foles in a smaller sample size is randomly like sixth in this. Jimmy Garoppolo, randomly third or fourth in this in a smaller sample size. But near the bottom is Aaron Rodgers. And I know we always, we always, we, Rodgers has done a pretty good job. Like he's had some spectacular ones just getting his team into field goal range last year, week three against the Niners. But Aaron Rodgers is ranked among the likes of Kerry Collins, Brad Johnson, Matt Schaub, Dante Culpepper, Philip Rivers, really bad at fourth quarter comebacks, which I'd be, which I'm surprised about. I just find that interesting that Rodgers, we've talked about him a little bit before where he's got this incredible interception rate. Is he too conservative? There's nothing tangible about that take in like in yesterday's game. He put them in the red zone. They just had a couple incompletions late and they lose. But it is interesting to me that Rodgers, who clearly one of the best quarterbacks of all time, lacking in this particular area, um, he'd had a he'd had a good comeback last week against the Patriots, just didn't do it this week. The once the once his career is kind of over and settled and you know done, and we're a few years removed from his retirement and stuff, he's obviously going to walk into the Hall of Fame. But the actual debate as to where he stands all time and what his career actually is at the end of it all is going to be kind of a fascinating one because he's I I think a lot of people. There aren't that many people that would argue he's essentially the most talented quarterback of all time in terms of total skill set. Now, Mahomes is coming along, uh, you know, making an argument immediately uh, to, to be that guy, Josh Allen, all these kinds of things. So the, the new breed of quarterback is, is trying to take that away from him. But even when Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, et cetera, like people were kind of looking at Rodgers and going, I mean, that guy, the guy has more tools than they have, you yeah. know? And when he's playing at his best, I'm not sure there's anybody that's come to that level. And yet, when you kind of look at the end of it and you sort of look at the achievements thing, it's like it really should have been better. We got one Super Bowl. We're blaming Mike McCarthy for not being another one, but now you had another shot and you're still not, you know, there's a, there feels, feels to be quite a large degree of sort of unfulfilled potential that ultimately probably leads back to Rodgers. And you can't say that about some of these other guys. Yeah, I mean, that was what the perception was about Peyton Manning, though, for a lot of his career, right? I mean, and then he got the monkey off his back with the Denver run. Does that even, I mean, it is interesting that that changes perception. We can't get into the whole thing. We're only one game in, but <laughs> it is interesting that that even changes perception about Peyton Manning. They dragged him with one of the best defenses of all but time to a second championship. Yeah, but the difference between the two of them, last word on this, was that Peyton, a little bit like John Elway, felt like he'd got screwed by circumstance and had should have deserved more than the one Super Bowl along the way and then kind of got the justification you know the Denver thing got him a second ring and now we, we can just shut the hell up about the underachieving that wasn't his fault in the first place the difference between that and Rodgers is that when you look at Rodgers underachieving I don't think you can put the blame in the other the same place as you could with Peyton Manning and go well he was just let down you're kind of looking at Rodgers underachieving you're like well I mean you didn't make the comeback or you didn't you know like you didn't show up on this occasion like this is kind of your fault oh man we'll have a hall of fame debate and your legacy debate on wednesday here by the um, way giants it, moved to four and one yes um we should at least raise the question that roger's current underachievement losing this game is definitely the fault of whatever haircut he's got going on right now Oh yeah, you your haircut analysis is, well, is never so wrong here. As somebody who's no longer capable of having a haircut, I get personally offended when people uh, waste the uh, waste what they have and deliberately do what Rogers has done, which is take hair that could 
be perfectly serviceable as a an unoffensive middle of the road haircut and style himself as some kind of coffee shop hippie. Do I offend you? In different ways. <laughs> as our style guru on the show, you can tell all of our fans about Viore. One of the newest sponsors here over uh-huh. at PFF. I, I, I have to give a shout out, as always, to, uh, to my buddy Mike, who was like, man, you guys have Viore? That's like his, that's like his thing, Mike. That's I, the level we've reached now. We have Viore. We have Viore. Yeah. Yeah. Mike was impressed. This is, you know, just Mike, my buddy back home. Mm. Um, super impressed that we had Viore because he loves it, as do you. As do I. Incredibly versatile, comfortable, designed to look great in everyday life. You got the shorts, you got the polos, we got all the stuff right up on the, uh, on the screen right here. I know the, uh, the pants, if they, if they fit me, I'd be all in on the pants. All right? And it's, not, it's nothing against Viore, it's about me. Yeah. But the pants look incredible. I'm, I'm incredibly jealous that I can't rock those pants because thank you to millennials for making, you know, this comfortable gear business cash over the last few years so viore is perfect for everything workout activity even just going to work so it's an investment in your happiness guys for our listeners we're offering 20 percent off your first purchase get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com pff that's v-u-o-r-i.com pff not show code no. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. So go to viore.com slash PFF and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. V-U-O-R-I. Nailed it. Mm. All right. What do we want to go through here? Let's go Los Angeles Chargers 30, Cleveland Browns 28. Another game from the future here. Except it was really the run games that took over. It wasn't Justin Herbert and Jacoby Brissett head-to-head. It was Austin Eckler and Nick Chubb going head-to-head in this one. Another another fascinating game with the run games running wild. There was an incredible number of forced missed tackles, meaning the running backs forced them, the defense missed them. Mm. And then, like the other Browns' three losses, Jacoby Brissett with a late interception. All three... Jacoby Brissett is the guy that takes care of the ball. Mm. I, spoke, I was talking to a Browns fan the other day. I'm like, hey, what do you think of Jacoby Brissett? Instantly takes care of the ball. The thing Except about- at the end of the game and comeback situations, all three of Brissett's interceptions, late comeback opportunities this time in the red zone. Yeah. The other thing about that is it's never been entirely true. <laughs> like, no, like if you just look at interception rate, in turn of, like turnover-worthy plays are pretty down for Brissett in his career. They're okay. It's a 3% turnover-worthy play rate, which is fine, but it's not great, you know? Like, the best quarterbacks in the league are 2%, and they don't, like, they actually attempt aggressive passes as well. attempt real passes. You know what I mean? Like, if you're going to be Jacoby Brissett and the game manager, I don't, you know, I don't take risks with the football, it feels like you could achieve one of the higher or lower, I guess, turnover-worthy play rates in the league because you're not being aggressive with the football. So... I, I mean, yeah, he's a great. He's he takes care of it relative to horrific quarterbacks. It just heave it YOLO style to the defense, but he's never exactly been the most careful quarterback with the football. Yeah, and as I said, Browns now fall to two and three, and all involved late interceptions for Brissett. Chargers move to three and two 
Austin Eckler goes off for 173 yards. This is a great game. And an awesome touchdown in the air. We get to go completely off-brand and just celebrate running backs. Yeah, so let me start on the other side, actually. So Nick Chubb kicks it off with an incredible 41-yard run. And I needed to look it up because we've we've definitely – you know, said things like, oh, the Chargers just play light boxes and invite the run and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. They didn't in this game. They tried to stop the run. They stacked the box. And they it hadn't didn't go any better than the last time. Didn't go. I mean, at the end, it started to at the end. But, of course, you have a 41-yarder in there with Nick Chubb starting with a missed tackle by, you know, number three, the player. But he's the only guy. He's like the only guy who graded well for the Chargers. The two good players. He had another play later on. It wasn't great. Either. Yeah, I'm just saying. But he's still better than the rest of no, the team. No, I know. Okay. So against eight in the box, Nick Chubb goes 16 carries, or Browns running backs, 16 carries for 85 yards, including nine force missed tackles. So it's like, tactically, if you're going to put eight in the box, you do have that man advantage. But if you force almost, you know, a missed tackle per carry, yeah, I mean, almost, that, the, the advantage disappears once the guy, the extra man you have, misses the tackle. Yes, including that 41 yarder where Nick Chubb just, you know, weaves through the defense. So. The Chargers tried. They still were just not very good at stopping the run. Um, ben Sockwell pointed out to me this morning that uh, this week had a whole bunch of plus two grades. So generally speaking, the PFF grading system works on a kind of minus 1.5 to plus 1.5 scale at 0.5 increments. Why does he tell you that and not me? Why, is it, why, why didn't he drop that in our chat? I'm cooler than you. Um, but this week, we, we, we have the capacity to sort of break the scale and go to two get an extra 0.5 for plays that are really insane in either direction. You know, the incredibly good ones, and then the Matt Shabian, oh my God, what were you doing plays that, that deserve That was a falling down overtime pick six to Richard Sherman for yeah. 2013. Uh, so uh, Nick Chubb had one of the plus two graded plays in this game. Uh, there was a whole bunch of insanely good plays yesterday, of which this was one. The other, so Nick Chubb, incredibly good game for Cleveland. And then Austin Eckler had the kind of game that fantasy managers have been just waiting and expecting all season long. He was insane. He went, what, what, 173 yards rushing with a rushing touchdown, um, another couple of touchdowns through the air, including one that was just such a damn good play. And it was the kind of play that tends to go unnoticed. The screen? Because it was like a screen, but... He one-hands it out of the air in a pass. It's not exactly great. And then immediately, there's a dude about to tackle him. I would say 80-90% of running backs get tackled immediately at that play and are just the play. It goes nowhere. Even with the one-handed grab to get it in the first place, he's tackled almost immediately, and it's dead on arrival. So he makes the one-handed stab, turns, sees a guy coming to get him, makes an immediate cut, leaves that guy grasping for air and then gets in for a touchdown. Like, that's one of those great plays where, you know, generally speaking, running backs are kind of a product of everything around them and the difference between one and the next is negligible. But that's one of those plays where a running back goes from is the difference between incomplete pass or completion for like a yard or touchdown. Like, Eckler on his own is the difference between two crappy outcomes or one great outcome. Yeah, Eckler really did have a good game. That receiving touchdown, as you mentioned, also a 71-yarder, uh, four other plays of 10-plus yards for Eckler. The seven, it wasn't a 71-yard touchdown, sorry. He got tackled short of the goal line. But that was one of those, it wasn't even great blocking up front. I think the Browns just got caught in a bit of a blitz, out of position, not great safety play, one cut, boom, Eckler's gone. So it was a really good. 6.9 yards per attempt for the Browns. 
again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that includes Jacoby Brissett with a few with a few, uh, a few runs in there. Amari Cooper with a pretty slick. A couple nice receiver plays. You know, nice route by Amari Cooper on his touchdown. And then Mike Williams just going up. And incredible catch on at least one for a 38-yarder up the seam. Um, yeah, just a good game. Back and forth overall. Running back centric, and then you get the controversy as always. There you go. Got to spend. We got to spend ten minutes on Brandon Staley's mind Great. every single week. Can't wait. That's what we need. We need a segment just like inside Brandon Staley's mind. It's okay. So set it up. Uh, Chargers are up by two, thirty to twenty-eight. Late in the game, they go. Uh, the Browns have a giant late drive to try and take the lead. They go from what nine and a half minutes on the clock to three minutes on the clock, and then Jacoby does his interception late in the game. So Chargers take over, 2 minutes 44 on the clock uh, at their own 17-yard line, drive they're at midfield, well, the 46-yard line, fourth and one with a minute and 14 on the clock. So it's one of those classic situations where fourth and one from midfield-ish, you get a first down, you win the game, or you punt it and make them go the whole length of the field, to, but they only need, you know, a field goal. Uh, and Browns had all their timeouts gone, right? Yes. yes. All their t- so no timeouts. That's the part. But they get a minute to go for a field goal, essentially, versus one play wins the game. What do you do? Yeah, so you're on your own 46. It's fourth and one. It's a long one. It's listed as fourth and one, but it's really like one and a half. That matters, man. Yes. That matters. Like fourth and inches versus fourth and a long one, one that like the game book says is one. Sure. But it's really closer to two. That does matter. So it's a long one. Well, it's important. So the spectrum of that is... You know, fourth and one can be one and a half yards or it can be an inch. Yeah. That's quite a lot. You know, it is. It is quite a large amount of real estate that is the difference in the same statistical number. And I know like NGS, next gen stats models that know exact location of the ball and all that stuff can account for that. A lot of the models that you see cannot necessarily account for that. You got to read the tweet. Is there a tweet in there? Friend of the show, Amy Trask. I know oh, did the, you put that in there? Yeah. I know the at Chargers won, but if I worked for the team, you would have to restrain me from firing the head coach before we boarded the plane. Up by less than three points, and you go for it on that fourth down, coaching malpractice. My brain would have done this, and then there's a big head-exploding picture. Idiotic. So that's the, let's call it the old-school football room yeah. view of this play because yeah. Brandon Staley you know a guy who's taking a lot of crap for a fourth down decision since he took over as head coach they went for it they didn't get it and then the you know the Browns had their shot and missed it wide right yeah spoiler they did they did go for it so fourth and one plus on your own 46 yes. and if you punt it you're probably pinning him around, around pinning them around the 20 maybe the 15 with about a minute left with no timeouts. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd probably lean punts there, too. <laughs> I always lean kill it in one play. Now, that's the thing. That's the attractive thing. And that is the thing that people don't consider enough. Um, this is not exactly Bill Belichick going for fourth and two because uh, they were up. The, the Colts needed a touchdown, right, in that game. So it wasn't just put the Colts in field goal range. In 2009, the famous fourth and two Patriots go for it decision the even then when i wasn't really keen to the analytics and all that stuff i like the idea of one play to win yeah 
you have one play to win. And I don't think the old school analysis ever really thinks about it through that lens. No, it's they always only about think the fear about what can go wrong. What it, right. They, you only think about when you fail. Not the idea that you have a chance to convert to win. And then if you don't get it, I mean, as happened, not every field goal is a, a gimme. So, look, I, I, I don't hate the idea of punting here either. I don't think I would have been looking at like, oh, Brandon Staley, you idiot. Why would you not go for this? But they do go for it. My issue is my always in the play. It's a risky play call. It's like an ISO route. They got slant yeah. flat on one side, which usually creates a natural pick, right? On the other side, you just have double slants. Which was open, by the way. The, yes, the natural pick was open, much like Russell Wilson on mm-hmm. Thursday Night Football. The natural pick, <laughs> slant flat, was open, okay? And Herbert um, goes the other way where it's double slants against against one-on-one coverage you're basically saying on fourth and one i'm trusting and these are bang bang plays all the time i'm trusting mike williams to win and he didn't and unlike russell wilson justin herbert doesn't have the ptsd of one of the most traumatic (laughs) plays in nfl history going against him on a slant flat pick (sighs) did you you see the meme the meme it's like what we see which is like open slant and what he sees it's like malcolm butler sitting in the Uh passing window i i I understand well, maybe a, Herbert. Herbert was probably in high school watching that game. There's a lot of reasons to criticize Russell Wilson over the last few weeks or his time in Denver generally and whatever. I would never criticize the man any for the rest of his life for passing up a slant flat goal line throw. I entirely understand now. Russell Wilson forever saying, I'm just never throwing that again in my life. Never going to happen. Ever. Frankly, the fact that it's even in the playbook anymore is coaching malpractice because I'm never throwing that ball, ever. Like, not going to happen. Justin Herbert doesn't have that trauma to deal with, so he could have gone for this. Look, Do you think I, you're repping it in practice and Russ is just like, I'll sit these, I'll sit these out. I'm, I'm, I'm unlimited. I'm Mr. Unlimited except on these practice reps. Brett Rippin can take these, these reps. I'm okay. Yeah. I got it. Don't worry Get about it. Get in there, it. Brett. It's, I'm never attempting this pass anyway. We don't need to practice it. Um, yeah, look, I... I, we talked about this on the Daily a bit yesterday, so you can check that out as well. My general point is I think the decision to go for this is still the correct one. I would always lean ice it with one play unless it's like an egregious down a distance where it's, it, you know, you're... Because essentially what you're weighing is do you have a better chance of converting one play versus do you have a better chance of stopping the opposition on whatever scenario you're about to give them the football, which in this case would be around a minute left to get into field goal range with a kicker that's got range for like 60, you know? So that, to me, feels like a pretty good chance of Cleveland executing that drive and having a shot to win the game, which they did, um, versus your chance of, com- of converting one play from a pretty favorable down-and-distance situation. Now... People have pointed out that the Chargers stink at short yardage conversions, which they do, and that should be factored into the decision. I kind of agree with that in that you should at least be aware that right now you stink in these situations. I also think that there's no reason that should be the case, and that should be a fixable thing, and why not turn like some self-scouting or some analytics onto that and be like, why are we so bad at this stuff? Because this has been a while that they've been horrendous at calling this short yardage stuff and it's execution it's play call but like god how can you be so bad at making these the decisions correct just call a play that works yeah i don't know man i just iso routes on fourth and short i also think by the way with the greatest respect to friend of the show amy trask dog lover and general great person whatever you think about the decision 
I can't get behind the idea that it's egregious one way or the other. Like I would always say, it's it's a pretty good down a distance. You got one play, kill it. You know, live with it. Sometimes it's gonna yeah. come back to bite you in the ass, and you just have to live with that. But it's probably the right call to go for it every time and back yourself. I if somebody disagrees and thinks to the other side, like okay, fine, but it's it's close. You know what I mean? So I can see your I argument mean, again. I, I want to reiterate. I all just of can't that. get on the idea of like it's coaching malpractice one way or the other. Fire the guy. I, I re- in the Bengals game later when John Harbaugh doesn't go for it on fourth and inches. I don't think there's a, a chance that the sheet that he's working off of. And I know you know the Ravens have yeah a lot of inputs here. I can't imagine it, it suggested kick it, but he did, sure. right? So I think he went against the book, so right. to speak. The book has changed, and Harbaugh went against the book, and it worked out. In this case— but the book also doesn't say, like, 100% this way, asshole. That's the thing. You know? It's like, oh, this is 52, this is yeah. 48, this is 51, this is 49. Like, we're talking percentage points here, and the outcome is never going to justify or, you know, trash the decision, really. I mean, it's just—this one worked out for yeah. the Chargers. And that's They're why I think— I just love that Staley's going to—he's going to stick with it. Hopefully, but but well, he didn't always. But comments like that, he didn't against the Chiefs. In I know two. comments like that are why teams don't, you know, because there's still this very vocal group. They're like, "This is idiotic. You're crazy." And you know, Chris was talking about it on the broadcast last night that John Harbaugh was the guy that has to go into the press conference and face the slings and arrows of people being like, "Why'd you go for it, idiot?" You know, and he, and he basically suggested that that's why he didn't go for it this week because he's the guy that has to go there and listen to that. Like, I mean, okay, but ultimately, what does it matter? Like, John Hopper, like that dude's got as much job security as any head coach in the NFL. Yeah. Go out there and say, I made the right call. It didn't work out this time. I'll do it again next time. Move but, on. But, I mean, all, all the coach is doing, though, I mean, we, we got to move quicker, but <laughs> all the coach is doing is making the right decision for the team. Yeah. That they think, right? Just like it's who's the starting right tackle, who's, you know, who's my nickel and my nickel package. All that. They're just making decisions that they think is best for the team. And that's, but that's why I'm saying if this stuff does sway the decision, you know, the outside chatter, it's, it's not helping anybody because all you're doing is forcing them into less benefit, yeah. less ideal decisions. And Harbaugh, Harbaugh and Staley always have good explanations. It's not, they're not going from their gut. I mean, look, if you want to go from your gut too, that's fine. I don't care. Like you're the you're the coach. Make your own decision. They always have good explanations, though. But that's what people have been doing. Do like, it. there's a reason. Like, this is a debate because of you know classic Moneyball stuff. Of like we were doing, we were just plucking this out of the air, and now there's actual information to work with. You know, and people don't like that because we've been doing it one way for years, and now we got to do it. We have to at least factor in additional information that we weren't bothering with before. But, like, that's progress. It doesn't feel I mean, good, but that's moving in the right direction. Look, factoring in this whole thing, too, is probably the fact that the Browns have had kicking woes. Right? That's part of it, too. Sure. We have one chance to win, and if we don't get it, we're not facing Justin Tucker. I guarantee if Justin Tucker's on the other side and Lamar Jackson, mm-hmm. you're probably punting it and saying, okay, we, you know, we have to make them go 40 yards, not 10. No House Advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform available today. Play in pick'em contests versus other people for the shot at winning 250000 plus in cash. Download the app, choose a contest, select your player props, earn points for correct picks, and climb the leaderboard for your shot to win big money every day. You can also test your skills versus the house and 20x your entry. That's right, 20 times if you hit all your picks. Bet on up to five player prop over-unders or... 
individual player matchups across every major sports league, including NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, MMA, and NASCAR. Sign up now. Use the promo code PFFNFL at nohouseadvantage.com or download the app on the app stores to get a first deposit match up to $25. Make sure to check out No House Advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports redefined because it's not just how you play, but it's also where you play. You don't want to miss out on this over at No House Advantage. All right, that's two games done. Easy. <sighs> what other good games were there in the one o'clock window? Let's do a bad one. Buffalo 38, Steelers 3. Yeah. Okay, so. Started with a 98-yard touchdown. This game is fun to me because there's a bunch of, like, historical statistics that I think are interesting. Bring it. One we should have had last week on the preview show, but I didn't. Our friend Ben Fox, uh, I forget where he works now, but used to be at ESPN. Steelers were the only NFL team since the merger, 1970, 1970. right? Uh, to have never been a 14 or more point underdog going into a game. So 52 years the Steelers had not been 14-plus point underdogs heading into a game until this game, where it was a 14-point spread. It turns out that was wildly underselling how overmatched the Steelers were in this game. But, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, then got all these wrong, too. I thought Kenny Pickett would bring some rookie energy here. Then it was the largest halftime deficit for the team since 1990, so that's 32 years. I haven't checked what the full-time score was, but that's got to be the largest defeat they've had in God knows how long as well. Yeah, the Steelers just got wrecked in this game pretty much. Uh, yeah. So Josh Allen and uh, Gabriel Davis, man, just going off, throwing the ball down the field. The um, So you know how Sunday Night Football last week was the Bucks and Chiefs, and the Chiefs force a fumble on the opening kickoff, yeah. steal a possession. The Bills start this game by muffing the kickoff, fumbling mm-hmm. it around, and just you know, get the ball at the one or the two, whatever it was. And it's like, oh, that's a tough tough start for the Bills. Well, yeah. So, again, like, football is such a weird game where the bounce of the ball is so important. So, two special teams plays at either side of the 98-yard bomb to score a touchdown. What you just talked about, they – Mess, make a mess of the kickoff they end up with the ball their own t- but that could have easily ended up you know bouncing towards Pittsburgh and all of a sudden the Steelers are set up in the red zone right doesn't Buffalo keeps the ball end up scoring a touchdown immediately then the Steelers uh muff the kick themselves the next play and all of a sudden James Pierre yeah all of yeah. a sudden Buffalo is set up about to go 14 up you know and yes. then they end up Steelers block the field goal and they're only down seven but like the first two special teams plays of this game could have gone anywhere from setting Pittsburgh up to go ahead to start with to compounding the error and giving Buffalo a 14-0 start in the space of like a minute, you know? And it ends up actually it's a wash and they don't affect anything. But two, two special teams plays having such an insane potential to affect how this game is going to start and then ultimately neither of them ended up mattering and then, you know, the, the Bills get their touchdown to start and keep throwing points on the board as it goes remember we were talking about like kind of creep back toward average on special teams yeah but we had i think even a better analogy was the um somebody on twitter basically said we, we basically came to the conclusion just just take take it past fail yeah like in college uh-huh. just don't fail yes and even though the bills failed they still on the first one they still came back with a 98 yard touchdown yeah, special teams is like the one subject that nobody's ever going to study past the point of you know whatever level of school that is you just need to pass it. You don't need to be yeah. good at it. Like, I, you know, I did French in school. I did God knows how many years of French. I can barely speak a word of French. 
but I passed every single time. You know what I mean? Just pass. Just get through, and then you can dump French. You never have to do it again <laughs> in your life, right? Just get through it. Except a kicker. Well, Don't know yeah. what to do with kickers. Except, you know, in, unless you have Justin Tucker. Unless you have Justin Tucker. This game was another one of those games with insane catches left, right, and center. So uh, Gabriel Davis with his crazy one-hander over Minka Fitzpatrick and then survives the Minka trying to take it away from him in the end zone. Um, George Pickens made another OBJ catch that he seems to specialize in right now. And it was almost the same as the one a couple of weeks ago where, you know, a deep ball, he kind of tracks it, has to adjust to the outside and just launches back one hand, snags it out of the air. Deontay Johnson is like a total of six inches away from three more spectacular catches this season. Another one where like, it just keeps putting his toe down like a, an inch over the line. Um, crazy wide receiver performances in this game. Yeah, so Josh Allen averages 13.7 yards per attempt. The Bills as an entire offense averaged over 10 yards per play which is insane yeah which you know includes you know james cook when the the two draft picks remember we said draft night james cook and khalil shakir the wide receiver both of those guys are kind of like these uh luxury yeah let's add a little explosiveness to the to the offense and they you know late in the game they're showing that james cook 24 yard touchdown run and shakir he finishes with three catches for 75 yards the bills just continue to add these little pieces and these weapons gabriel davis every now and again decides he's going to become jerry rice three catches or, or randy moss, randy moss. In this case. was a full randy moss yeah. stat line three gabriel catches. davis has had a jerry rice postseason yeah. and uh a randy moss game now three catches for 171 with two touchdowns this was yeah the randy moss dallas stat line yeah. you know three catches for a buck 50 and three scores yeah davis only had two touchdowns but you know that's fine um so yeah just domination from the bills they got after it from a pass rush standpoint First impressions of Kenny Pickett, I think, were as a starter, were difficult. I thought he, I thought he made some pretty good throws, but it was another. It's it's pushing because throw for throw, Kenny Pickett was fine. I mean, he had a bad interception, misread, another another turnover worthy play in there, penalty at the end. <coughs> That's the sneeze you were waiting on. Ah, okay. I found it. That's where it went. Yeah. All right. Hey, we're live. We just rolled through it. Um, Pickett threw the ball all right. Sure. Right? I feel like I'm, I'm going to give the same answers I've said about Mitchell Trubisky. The quarterback threw the ball okay. <laughs> Some of his best throws fell incomplete. As you mentioned, Deontay Johnson, toe taps, just not yeah. happening just yet. It, it ended at 6.3 yards per attempt, which is below average, and three points. You know, this is this – is, I thought Kenny Pickett was going to unlock these more valuable throws and that he was going to – I had been impressed with Pickett in the preseason – and through a half of play in the NFL. <laughs> Enough that I thought he was going to spark this offense and unlock these more valuable throws and all this stuff. And it, it's like the same thing. Like, the throws were fine. He only averaged six yards per attempt, and they scored three points. Yeah, but I think this is one of those games where you have to factor in. Like, this, there's a reason we were saying, or at least I was saying, you don't want to start him his first game against Buffalo, you know? This is one of the best defenses in the NFL. They have the best pass rush in the NFL. We got a much better barometer of this Pittsburgh offensive line that's looked pretty good through the first few weeks of the season because all of a sudden now you're not going to have the lightning fast time to throw and they're just going to win up front. And we saw that, like a bunch of below average pass blocking grades for the Steelers offensive line, a bunch of pressure. Pickett wasn't able to throw the ball in 2.1 seconds every single play. And, you know, the the 
Bill's secondary is designed around causing you to to hold the ball a little bit longer. And late in the game, like they were just straight up baiting Kenny Pickett pre-snap. It's like, oh, you see this safety in the middle of the field? Yeah. Yeah? It's going to be a wide open space over there in the sideline. Take a shot, Kenny. And then the safety, like, the second of the snap would just turn and run horizontally into the space that he was suggesting was open pre-snap. Like, they were genuinely straight up baiting Kenny Pickett into taking shots and then immediately heading in that direction. And that's that's just the capacity that this Bills defense has to cause problems. So, yeah, Kenny Pickett was fine. He also, I mean, it was a bad throw to Kyrie Elam. Um, but, the, like, the Steelers were just so badly overmatched in this game. Like, this is why people were not high on Pittsburgh coming into the year, regardless of the quarterback. Like, they just don't have what it takes to match up with the best teams in the NFL. It, it, it was such a fine – Josh Allen was throwing dimes. I mean, those those downfield throws. But like you said, the Mink is like right there on one of them. I mean, there's there was a lot of close. There was a lot of just misses for the Steelers. Josh Allen, precision, throwing the ball down the field. We had been complimenting him for all of his underneath stuff, and he's had games. I, I, I say it all the time, different ways to win. The Bills have had games where they – we're dinking and dunking underneath, left and right, and then they have a game like this where they just keep going up top, and Allen averages 14 per ca- per attempt, and it's it's just uh, big boy chunk play ball. All right, the rest of the AFC East here: Jets 40, Dolphins 17. Teddy Bridgewater lasts what one drop back here? Yeah, gets hit by Sauce. Yep, and he goes out in concussion protocol. So we've got Skylar Thompson third-string quarterback, rookie out of Kansas State, making his NFL debut. Cornerback blitz. Like, let's just put that right there immediately. We're talking, you know, Miami, one of the most blitz-happy teams, creative pressure packages, and then Robert Sala, you know, rolls up and is like, here, hold my beer, sends sauce on a corner blitz. Like, the first play, the first drop back of the game, buries Teddy Bridgewater for a safety um, and knocks him out of the game. We also have on the other side, so that obviously affected things. Skyler Thompson had a really nice preseason for the Dolphins. Yes. But just like when you throw Bailey Zappi in last week in the middle of a game, it's tough to know what to expect from a late-round rookie in their debut. Now, Bailey Zappi next week, looked, this week, looked pretty good. Thompson could look good if he has another opportunity to play, but it was a rough one for him. The Jets also, so the Dolphins also had Teron Armstead lasted only a handful of snaps. They're starting left tackle. They put Brandon Shell in. I'll have more on Brandon Shell in a moment because first I want to give credit to the Jets. They played a really good all, all, overall game, right? The Dolphins were favored. I know they lost their starting quarterback, but the Jets took advantage. They took advantage of injuries up front, rushed the passer at an incredible rate, and Zach Wilson, at the moment, going through the reviews right now, looks like his highest passing grade of his career mm-hmm. so far. Yeah, the, the, the Jets did look good. I, first of all, this is fascinating because off the back of the Tua stuff, um, the NFL... Yeah, go through what happened here. The NFL changed their uh, concussion protocols to essentially eliminate what happened with Tua, which is if a guy gets up and is wobbling and looks like he just got concussed, he's out of the game regardless of what concussion test he passes on the sideline. That apparently was a blind spot that nobody had ever seen coming in the original NFL concussion protocols, which is... What if a guy's obviously concussed but gets to the sideline and passes his concussion test? 
apparently that had never occurred to anybody that it might become a problem until we saw exactly what it can happen with Tua. Um, and we, we talked about this on the NFL Daily and people, the NFL's doctors, Dr. Sills, the guy's name is, had essentially acknowledged that this is going to lead to some situations where a guy comes out of the game because he's vis- visibly wobbly, because he's protected from himself, even if he passes anything you know relevant on the sideline. The irony being it, the, the Miami Dolphins were the team that had happened to exactly one play into the game, fresh off the back of going the other way. So Teddy goes down, goes to the sideline, the medical tent. They're reporting elbow and head injury. Um, and then eventually he's ruled out and they say it's concussion. He passed his concussion protocols, but the eye in the sky, the, the independent neurologist or whatever said, no, we, he displayed uh, apraxia, the, you know, loss of motor function or whatever, and therefore he's done. He shut down. Um, I, I mean, look, I, I didn't, I, I haven't seen a video that looks like the Tua thing, you know, where the guy is wobbly and clearly done. Right. Uh, I don't know whether there was or there wasn't for Teddy, but I just think it's fascinating that Miami, who's the team this happened, they've now been on both sides of this coin. It is ironic, right? Tua yeah. was obviously, obviously displayed symptoms, suggested concussion, and because of the flawed system, they put him back in, and then you know a week later he gets uh, concussed, let's say, for a second time. And then this time where Teddy passed all the concussion uh, tests, but they pulled him from the game because of the new protocols prompted by the Tua thing. Yeah, I wonder if they're going to put out a video to show it, just to confirm. I don't know if there is video to show it. I mean, not that it didn't happen, but it might not have been caught. You know, who knows what it was. But either way, the the person watching for this stuff saw signs that suggested Teddy was concussed and therefore pulled him from the game, even though he passed protocols. Which I think, by the way, just to be clear, is the right thing. Like err on the side of protecting the dude's brain yeah of course rather than uh that could have been a back spasm just a dominant outing up front for the jets so teddy bridgewater there and not carl lawson eight pressures quinnon williams with six john franklin myers with seven uh bryce huff gets in there with four um, on just 13 rushes by the way just dominant up front by the jets um so good job taking advantage of that so i, I was looking at him like wow carl lawson had a big day and when, but on the other hand, I just want to mention Brandon Shell, who came in for the Dolphins, had played right tackle for his entire career, pretty much. Going into this game, Brandon Shell had had 3,894 career snaps at right tackle and 27 at left tackle. Hmm. He looked like the poor guy. He ended up playing 61 snaps at left tackle yesterday. I mean, he looked like he hadn't taken a pass set at left tackle. Um, I don't know what you do about that because, you know, the Jets have had. Um, sorry, the Dolphins, you, you get Teron Armstead injured. Greg Little's already playing at right tackle on the other side. I, I don't know if Greg Little would have been any better at left tackle mm. if you switch them. But I just think when you – I'm not – I'm all for switching left tackles and right tackles when they're coming out of college. Guys do it all the time. We've seen some bad stuff when, you know, the Ali Villanuevas of the world have to go from career left tackle to right tackle or vice versa. So this is – it's just tough, man. Oh, so Brandon Shell's going to end up with a poor grade. I'm watching these pressures now, and oh my god! He, you see what I'm saying? He so and he doesn't. He just turns. <laughs> yeah, like there's not even a instead of like it's you know, not the, a pass set. No, instead of the classic pass set, 
he like just turns and runs at the guy. Yeah. And that and and those are the ones where he's he's still being beaten around the edge. Yeah. Like he's completely abandoning the inside. Like if if there was ever an inside counter move and I haven't gotten maybe there is. But if there was an inside counter move, he would be immediately hosed and un, and let an unblocked rusher. But he's not even blocking the guy when he's trying to turn and run and head him off for the speed rush. I, this not, is maybe the worst pass set I've ever seen from a left tackle. Yeah, I'm not I'm not picking on Brandon Shell. I just it's a tough spot for NFL teams. I think I, I, honestly, there, I think the NFL has to expand the rosters, fork over a little bit more money. And you have to let them carry more offensive linemen. But the other thing is practice time. Like, you know, you actually record. They need actual reps to be able to do this kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. Look, I, my only point would be there has to be somebody on the roster that can do that better than him. For example, and it might be Greg Little, who has not had a very you know successful career as far as he's been a below average player throughout his career, but he's. He's closer to playing left tackle snaps than Brandon Shell. I mean, so is Liam Eikenberg at left guard. I would be yeah. staggered if Eikenberg couldn't do a better job than what I've just witnessed. So I don't want to take anything away from the Jets. I'm like, wow, Carl Lawson, let's, that's a big day. Let's go check it out and see. You know, Carl Lawson had a you know 39% win rate, essentially, and you know, Shell was a, was a big part of it. But that's a part of what I've said about the Jets as well. The NFL is is about taking advantage of those matchups, right? When you're sure. presented with those matchups, do you take advantage? And the Jets did that in this game. You also have Brees Hall gets free for a 79-yarder. Busted coverage, but, you know, 79-yarder in space and picks up 97 yards and a score. So, uh, yeah, Jets have some ballers now. They got some players. They've, uh, they're have they 3-2 and two in New York. Mm-hmm. And uh, how for real are the Jets? We'll see. I mean, look, that defense looks legit we kind of forget because last year was such an embarrassment across the board like Robert Sala knows what he's doing when it comes to coaching defense and all of a sudden he's actually got players like they might again they might not have any superstars from it comes to pass rushers but that's a good group and then on the back end you've gone from having the worst cornerback room in the NFL to all of a sudden Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed are two quality starting corners already plus what's around them like that defense is for real that is the part of the Jets rebuild. I know you like this when you have order, right? The Jets went trenches, pass rushers. Year three was like, okay, we know we neglected the secondary. This year we're going to do it, yeah. and it is it is starting to pay off for sure. That's why the Jets are going to be far more competitive week in, week out, especially when you know, the Bengals game a few weeks ago, they're busting coverages and stuff like that. Just play your assignments. These Jets, man, man for man, are pretty, pretty decent on the back end there. Yep. All right, Lions-Patriots. Won't spend a ton of time on this one. 29 nothing Patriots. Um, yeah. The highest-scoring team in the NFL scored nothing. Zero. No yeah. points. You know, sometimes Bill Belichick will compliment a player, and you know everybody was like, oh, Ed Reed's definitely going to play for Bill Belichick late in his career because yeah. he, he loves him and all that stuff. I don't see Jared Goff becoming a future Patriot. No. Bill Belichick attacks Jared Goff pretty well. Just saying. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it, the Lions were one of those teams, you know, a little bit like the Giants. It's like I don't, I'm not quite ready to say, well, they're 4-1, and one, therefore they're really good, and I was completely wrong about them. The Lions were the highest-scoring team in the NFL, not just this year, but like dating back to last year and stuff as well. And it, I never quite understood why. Like, same with Amon St. Brown. Amon St. Brown is like lighting up the stat sheet, putting up insane numbers, looks dominant. And it's like... Why is that working? I mean, you know, he's better than people thought he was, but 
you still you watch him play and you're still not exactly overwhelmed with what he's doing in the way you are with some other receivers it's like okay they're they're lining him up in a lot of favorable ways he's getting the ball a lot but i don't quite understand why this is so productive um well the model like amonra so well obviously that's the reason model guy so this game suggested that there might not actually be a reason that they were that productive and actually (laughs) the lions aren't quite as good as they looked they just for whatever reason were playing a bunch of teams where that happened and let's remember a lot of these games have come where they've been in a hole pretty early and then just kept going i mean they were in this one the kneecap biting yeah no i know shut down i know but you know it's easier to put up a ton of points where you're sort of forced into these situations of chasing a game and just going yolo maybe it's the 0 for 6 on fourth downs i mean that certainly didn't help in this game Ramondre stevenson goes off for 161 on the ground as well kind of a classic patriots win it's the first start for bailey zappy he only he only has 21 dropbacks but he's hitting throws man he had an interception that was unlucky and just hitting open receivers jacoby myers with 111 and a touchdown zappy did look a little overwhelmed i thought last week as a rookie very protected in this one we've seen patriots teams in the past kind of bring you know young quarterbacks along when they've needed to you know garoppolo and brady was down and jacoby Brissett in that game this was the first shutout for the patriots was it since the Brissett start I believe the uh, Thursday Night Football 2016 against the Texans. So, I'm not saying this happens every time, but Belichick has this history of like, all right, let's rally the troops around our rookie quarterback here that needs our help, and boom, they throw a shutout. They they did, by the way, exactly what you suggested, essentially with the the T.J. Hawkinson game plan. It was we'll play a lot of you know a lot of uh, two high looks. We'll force Jared Goff into being conservative and then we'll take away his safety blanket and we'll double team TJ Hawkinson yeah and it's like now where are you going with the ball and the answer was uh I don't know uh, uh and no points yeah Goff's not good when there's any confusion <laughs> hesitation I was gonna say yeah but it's you know same well, idea he's, so ironically he's the quarterback that will suffer the most in this trend of defense right now which is you know take away the deep shot take away the the big play and force them into force them into underneath stuff and then try and force them into working through a progression so force them into horizontal shallow passing and where possible force them deeper into the progression than they want to go and just make things make things painstaking like make things laborious to go through and take seven yards play after play after play that's not where golf does well you know, Goff likes a deep shot and an easy, simple first read, you yeah. know? Um, the, I don't want to say the turning point in the game, but the biggest play in the game was 6 nothing Patriots late in the second quarter. It's fourth and long, I believe. It's fourth down. And Goff's holding the ball, holding the ball. I don't think this was one of those, I don't believe Matthew Judon beat Panay Sewell at right tackle. He just ran around him because Goff was scrambling. But Judon tracks down Goff, forces the fumble, gets returned by Kyle Duggar, 59 yards for a touchdown. That put the Patriots up 13-0, and that was it. I mean, once the way the Patriots' D was playing and the Lions were playing offensively, that was pretty much it. And then uh, New England still ran a pretty efficient offense and uh, domination from start to finish, 29 nothing. So Patriots moved to 2-3, and three, Lions fall to one and four jack jones with another uh great play nice interception it was 
It's a really, really bad decision from Goff, but it was a really nice interception from Jack Jones, who continues to uh, monopolize the Jones talent in the. Oh, you think the there's Patriots a Jones issue? Well, you got a lot of Joneses in there, and right now, no Jonathan. Them, Jonathan's having a good year. Yeah, yeah, but the last few weeks, Jack has been the guy that's taken all. Oh, the, it's the talent rotating Jones talent. Uh-huh. I mean, offenses can catch on to that. You got to know do. which Jones to attack. Yeah, yeah. I, I want. I missed a note on the. Um, can we just insert this back in the Dolphins Jets game? I just want to give credit to Elijah Vera Tucker. Okay. Who over the last three weeks has played right guard, uh-huh. then left tackle, and then this week right tackle. Yeah. So Elijah Vera Tucker, as much as I'm saying, hey, Brandon Shell, shouldn't it be moving? You know, he's late in his career. He's been taking right tackle snaps for like seven years, more. Vera Tucker showing some versatility starting in three different spots. And this week he actually, he did grade well and did play well. Not like last week, which was a little bit more up and down at left tackle. So good job by Elijah Vera Tucker. We'll just insert that later you know, into the uh, Dolphins Jets. Uh-huh. I tweeted out and promised the people that, okay, Lions-Patriots. Next is Bears-Vikings. Okay. Vikings win 29-22. Third straight week. Kirk Cousins, fourth quarter comeback. The third straight week for Kirk Cousins. It was a comeback, right? They were down. Yeah, yeah they were they, down they one. They ended up going Got down. the two-point conversion. Uh, granted, the Vikings were up 21-19. Cousins throws the interception. That was a poor decision. They were also up 21-3 is perhaps the more important part well yeah they're up 21-3 and then there was a late interception as well but yeah the uh the bears hung tough or the vikings just did not close it but they Uh, did eventually 29-22 yeah um this is another one of it was a lot like the green bay game so the packers end up losing earlier in the day you know in london to the giants and all of a sudden Minnesota's up 21-3, stomping Chicago. And, oh, the, the Vikings are about to take control of the NFC North and show the Packers who's boss. And actually, Minnesota is the best team in this division. And then it goes from a 21-3 beatdown into all of a sudden they're losing the game and actually need to grind out uh, a comeback win late on. Um, like Justin Jefferson was carving up the Chicago defense early. Kirk Cousins looked good. And then it all just kind of spiraled away. Part of it, this is another one of those games where, again – just get your special teams above failure just pass and get out they started failing you know there's a lot of special teams goofs in in this game from minnesota and then the bears late fumble as well the funny that so because <laughs> a past former viking by the way smith yeah, yeah. marset so a pass to smith marset cameron dancer misses the tackle in the flat this is kind of late in the game the clock's winding down once he beat the tackle of Dantzler, get out of bounds. Stop the clock. I don't know why you keep... Anyway, didn't. Tried to make some more yardage, and Dantzler, having missed the tackle, gets back on his feet, runs him down from behind, and just, yoink, grabs the ball from him, runs back. Yeah. Fumble, force fumble and recovery. So I, I love plays for, for DBs in particular where having done something bad early or earlier in the play, you rescue it with something good at the end. There's a, usually you see these with like, okay, you've been beaten either on the route or at the catch point. The guy's got the ball in his hands, but if you just keep playing his arms, there's a pretty good chance you can still force the incompletion. But this is kind of another version of that where you got beat, you, you gave up the catch, but if you stick with it, you might be able to get back and make something good happen anyway. You've mentioned about the Vikings offensive line and how you know they might be – you know, a big part of their offensive success. They were very good yesterday. Christian Darasaw with a huge game, pass protection, and 
run blocking, but across the across the board outside of Ed Ingram, really graded really well and pass protection really good as far as run blocking goes. We have our own stats for this, but I did see, and I haven't looked it up, but I did see the next gen stat that Kirk Cousins didn't throw a tight window throw. Now again, I don't know how you determine that because like his interception at had the time have, he had threw to have it been reasonably tight. I mean, he threw it like the defensive back got in between the ball and the receiver. Yes. Right? It was Therefore, a bad the window is, you know. Right. So it depends on how you're determining this. Is it like at the time of the throw, there was separate? I, I don't know how they're determining it. And that might be the problem with just a pure algorithm versus having eyes on it. Yeah. I mean, but there was I, a lot. Like you talked about the Justin Jefferson stuff. I mean, he was open all day, whether right. it was one on one or it was, whether it was against zone. Justin Jefferson's all, he caught 12 or 13 targets. Yeah, there I was mean, a lot of easy, like the easy passes were available in this offense, and Cousins, you know, generally hit them. That is started what seventeen for seventeen. Sorry, I keep talking. That is an interesting uh, case study in that particular statistic because you're right. At the point he releases the ball, there isn't the defender within five yards of his intended target. On the other hand, without anything weird happening, that defender there then got in front of the target and picked the ball off. So, where when are you measuring the window? You know, because. Frankly, it's kind of irrelevant who was around him for like <laughs> before the ball arrived. Who cares? The the more relevant piece of information is how how tight was the window at the point the ball arrived? And in this case, the answer is the window had been closed. All right, so the Bears fall to two and three. Justin Fields, by the way, probably has he has a negated spectacular run that um, got negated by a penalty. Do you think the defense gave up on that? I've heard both ways. It looked incredible. Would have been a 50-yarder that got negated. Um, other than that, he still ran the ball pretty well. Fields, again, he's got these plays where it's like, hey, you got him bottled up, and before you know it, he's out. He's out of there. Um, and then he made, you know, another beautiful pass down the field to Darnell Mooney. Great catch by Mooney. I think... Spectacular catch. Yeah, another second time, straight time. He kind of played it weird, Mooney. He kind of played... Like he kind of probably could have run through it a little bit more we kind of leaned into the defender and then created space mooney's got some great ball skills though for those types sure. of plays um dante so dante pettis had a couple of drops in this game and people were kind of crapping on the bears receivers i look anytime a receiver drops the ball it's not good like that's their job literally you know you got to make those catches i on the other hand i do think it's worth pointing out that if you have a passing game that is as inept as chicago's has been so far this season I, I think it's important not to undersell how difficult it, it is for a wide receiver to essentially be running routes all day with no chance of the ball ever coming in your direction and then all of a sudden one arrives like the the sort of level of steve smith talked about this with us yeah it the the idea of being completely kind of cold and not in the game and then expected to snag the pass when it arrives i think is is an understated thing in terms of difficulty like Ali Villanueva never had that problem when he was playing receiver in no. Army. And look, I'm not, you know, it's been a while since I've uh, referenced the, the IAFL playing days. It has been a while, yeah. But you get a tally for that? I was on some pretty, pretty bad offenses when I was playing wide receiver. And if the ball didn't come your way for like a half and then all of a sudden it arrives, like you're just not in the same space as you would have been if you were getting a pass every couple of drives. You know what I mean? So to expect Chicago's receivers to be on their game at all times – when the ball is never even threatening to come in their direction for half the game, 
I just think that's a different situation than it is for most other receivers in the NFL. The Bears have hit an all-time low as you've now compared their offense to an IAFL yeah, offense. A bad one. Which, of, of which you've told me there's like two quarterbacks that can make any level of throws in, across the entire league. Yeah. And you've just inserted yourself into Dante Pettis's world yeah. of being the receiver on this inept offense that runs the ball so much. That's uh, that's a new low. Yeah, I mean, putting it in a nutshell, I would expect Chicago's receivers to have a higher drop rate than other teams simply because of the ineptitude of the offense right now. Yeah, I don't know if the data is going to back you up on that. Well, anyway. Prove me wrong. I, I don't care that much to prove it. I, prove, prove it right. I don't have I'll to. Say. I've already made the claim. That's okay. the way this world works. Maybe I've, I've made <laughs> the claim. Made. The claim is true until you can prove otherwise. Well, I'll call misinformation with no information to prove it wrong. Can't That's also it. how this world works. Yep. There we go. All right. So uh, Justin Fields played better, <laughs> I think. Still not enough here Yeah. for the Bears. They're just, not a, they're just not a very good football team. New Orleans Saints 32, 39, sorry. Seahawks 32. Yeah. Seahawks, man, they're struggling in the Big 12 this year. Look, uh-huh. I know the Big 12 plays better defense, but this is, this is Seahawks football now. 39-32, Saints move to 2-3, and three. Seahawks fall to 2-3. and three. Crazy game. Yeah. First off, let's give credit on the Seahawks side. Geno Smith. Pete Carroll said something like just a beautiful football or something to that. I mean, it is. Geno Smith looks incredible. Yeah. Like he's out of, this, he's out of his mind with some of the throws that he is making five big time throws in this game including the first plus two graded throw of this oh we did give it that yeah that deserved it there was a point so there was there was one year where ryan Tannehill, i think it was one year or maybe it was over a couple year stretch he had two of the best throws i've ever seen ryan Tannehill with the dolphins before he before he became a titan and it was like deep post behind the defense you know to uh just perfect spot getting hit and the whole thing those were like plus two worthy Geno's was that I mean the first one to Tyler Lockett was good mm. the second one was like all right this there are safeties involved there's corners involved there's there's multiple defenders and he put it to an absolute perfect spot but Geno's also roll like making throws run into his left yeah Mahomesian type of plays he didn't have that in the. In, he did not have that in the bag before. That is a new club for Geno Smith. Yeah. He did not have that in the bag six or seven years ago. Geno's talking to the. You know, he's talking to the media. The media's like, "Are you surprised?" And he's he's very confident. And he's just like, "What do you mean? You've never seen me throw? Right. Like Geno, we've seen you throw. You've I've never done that guy. before. You've never done. You haven't yeah. you haven't pulled that one out yet. Now that you have, though, I'm very impressed. No, he's like, I've always been this guy. It's like, okay, come on. <laughs> but he looks. He looks spectacular his first touchdown was very Mahomesian in terms of you know pocket doesn't really break down like technically there's no real reason you need to leave that pocket but he does and as is his want much like Mahomes and then it's a case of all right you're in the open field what are you going to do and you expect Geno Smith to just scramble right there's a reasonable amount of real estate it's what third and five you can pick up the first down without too much of a problem and instead, he's got his eyes downfield. He waits until DK Metcalf breaks off his sort of shallow cross and just goes deep and then just flicks the pass over the top for what is an easy touchdown. And again, like Mahomes, it's only easy because of what Geno brought to the table and changed the play and the whole thing goes to hell and you just take advantage of it. So you're right. that This stuff was not in Geno's playbook before. And even he's got... 
He's got a turnover-worthy play in this game, and it's one of those ones where it shows you just how fine the margins are playing quarterback in the NFL because it's not a quote-unquote bad pass. Like, it's a, a, a deep over route um, where instead of putting the ball here, you know, out in front of his guy where it hits his hands and it's away from the DB that's chasing him, he leaves it, like, here, back shoulder, yeah. which is just back far enough that the guy trailing him can get his hands across and should have picked it off and would have picked it off if the, the receiver hadn't essentially broken it up. But this versus this, we're talking a maximum of a yard, you know, and that maximum of a yard of horizontal distance is the difference between good pass and pass that gets intercepted most of the time. Like, that's the, that's the degree of difficulty that NFL quarterbacks are playing with. I, I think Geno Smith is at the point where five weeks in, I'm, I'm big on not overreacting to small sample sizes but i think we're at the point where i could say much like ryan Tannehill a few years ago there's something different with geno smith yeah. from what he was before i would be amazed if geno goes back in the tank and you end up getting bad geno again like yeah. he looks like a different player he than he was before he took a few sacks in this game as well it, and to me that had been the knock on him right it's he wasn't really creating things outside of structure he was taking these negative plays when he stepped into a throw and he threw it i mean we saw we saw him live a few years ago right it's like boom ball jumps out of his hand he's got a good arm and all that stuff but he was not an outside of structure player if he's added that to the mix and that's there the off the off platform throws and that started week one against the broncos he's hitting throws and he's under pressure and making plays you can see his confidence growing geno smith is playing he's throwing the ball as well as any quarterback in the nfl right now and highest graded passer he looks incredible right now all that said and, and, and oh, by the way, the Seahawks have Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, and they're using them. Which was always an important part of this whole thing is yeah. if you can get any kind of viable quarterback play from whoever's back there. Remember, there was a time where we thought Geno and Drew Locke were a, like a neck and neck competition for the job. Uh, there's stuff to work with there. And you have the offensive line playing much better. Now, I'll say this. They, they pass protected pretty well. The rookie tackles are looking uh, looking good. Every single week, it does seem like one of the interior players for the Seahawks kind of lets them down. It's like this revolving door, Austin Blythe, Gabe Jackson, whatever. But the O-line is even playing a little bit better. So everybody that's doing the A-B analysis, right? Geno yeah. and Russell Wilson. I am surprised that it is this far in Geno's favor right now. Oh, of course. And then all that said, it doesn't matter. By the way, the Saints won the game. 39 to 32 do you want to go through all of the you can go through all the Taysom Hill exploits um there's many tweets that try to sum up that were out there that we that we pulled that um sum up what Taysom Hill did but three touched uh three touchdowns on the ground another one through the air and boy the Taysom Hill package this was one of those games right just like was it the Vikings a few years ago in the playoffs was it I'm just, every now and again the Taysom Hill experience really works yeah I'm just happy that now that we can we don't have to pretend he's a quarterback. We can go back to just enjoying the Taysom Hill thing, you know? I don't know what he is, but it's fun. Because he, he's listed as a tight end now, you know? But he's got, like, one catch in the year. Taysom Hill's not really a tight end any more than he's a quarterback. He's just a weird gimmick running back thing. But it's fun. Like, he had, what was it, three rushing touchdowns, a passing touchdown, and then a fumble recovery on special teams. <laughs> it's just it's just ridiculous. But it's 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 awesome it said let's see he had three rushing touchdown touchdowns a passing touchdown a fumble recovery 112 rushing yards 69 kickoff return yards and 22 passing yards for Taysom Hill what was your uh NFL NFL research 
Taysom Hill's one of three players since 1950 with three or more rushing touchdowns. It's 100-plus. All, all time, by the way, now. Oh, it's all time. Yeah. Three-plus rushing touchdowns, 100-plus rushing yards, and a passing touchdown in a single game. So that jo- he joins Ronnie Brown in 2008. That was the Wildcat game. And LaDainian Tomlinson in 2005. That was his MVP season, I believe. 2006 Maybe? was his MVP season, I think. Oh, was it? Right. Yeah, it was 06. But Tomlinson, that was he was in that stretch of like a million yeah, touchdowns yeah. and all that, and um, was always a was a genuine passing threat as a running back. And, and because because we've officially classified Taysom Hill as a tight end, they had one of the most beautiful formations. I, I don't know if it's going to break our uh, our formation calculator here. One of the most beautiful formations you'll ever yeah, see. Yeah, what is that? What is that? What's what personnel group is that for a start? Um, oh four, oh four. So zero backs, oh, four tight ends. So they had seven offensive linemen, three tight ends, and Taysom Hill. So yeah. if you count Taysom Hill as a tight end, it's seven offensive linemen and four tight ends. I know he's a quarterback, but they're wildcatting it, so it's like he's really the other position for that. It was it was a it was a thing of beauty. That was the form I think that was the formation for the for the long touchdown run. Is that right? Sixty yarder from Taysom Hill that um that put this thing out of reach. Seattle's defense is just struggling and they had done i know it sounds weird in a game where they gave up 235 on the ground but they had done a better job against the run early on like they did you know you miss a couple gaps and boom it's a 60 yarder it was a bad play seattle had done a better job they bottled up camara elvin camara only you know had a long of 13 yards and they had played a little bit better up front but but the Taysom hill package was the difference Taysom Hill, by the way, is also returning kicks for the team. Like, That's what I mean. I, kickoff just, return yards. 69 kickoff return yards. Taysom Hill is also, by the way, the most bruised player I've ever seen in my life. Every time they cut to That's a picture stat. of him, you know, sleeveless, obviously. Uh, and it's just he looks like a man whose arms have been battered by opposing players for the last 60 minutes. Every time you see him. Like, I don't think I've ever seen a player who is so consistently marked up and bruised as Taysom Most bruised player. Um, on the other side, you've got Rashad Penny injured. Oh, Looks God like he's going to have surgery. Yeah, broken tibia. <sighs> Kenneth Walker. Is he going by Ken now? I don't know. I think we still have him as Kenneth mm. in the system. But he had a 69-yarder in there as well. Yeah. I mean, the, we- Seattle, the Seattle team is fun. I mean, it's still the Seahawks. It's still a fun Seahawks team. Um, Tariq Woolen, the rookie, another interception. Looks really good. That was uh, Andy Dalton left that one back and inside. But there's nothing else to really get excited about with the rest of Seattle's defense. Yeah. But there's a lot of intriguing rookies and Geno Smith playing like this. Seattle is more than feisty. Like they're a really intriguing team. Well, they're kind of where they were for years with Russell Wilson, which is that offense can carry this team. Remember, we like we think of the, when see when Seattle was a genuine Super Bowl contender. They had an offense that was good, and then they had a defense that was as good as anybody in the league. And that combination was a, you know, a Super Bowl caliber team. Then the defense eroded year after year after year. You lost members of the Legion of Boom. Then you lost other players as well, and the whole thing just fell apart. But the offense stayed good um, despite a lack of offensive line. They had Russell Wilson playing very well at quarterback. They, had, they always had receivers to throw to, and that combination was enough to drag this team to respectability and usually the playoffs every single year. Well, okay, 
Russell Wilson disappears, leaves. Geno Smith is playing as well as Russell Wilson did for most of that time. You still have elite receivers in DK and Tyler Lockett. You have running backs in Penny. Okay, he's down now, but Walker in the backfield as well. And then the offensive line is better than it's been for most of Russ's time is still the weakness of that. But that offense is enough for this team to actually be pretty decent, even if the defense stinks. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how the defense is going to get better this year in Seattle. It's probably not. But I'm intrigued by the pieces. And I think Geno Smith is the guy going forward. Sure. By the way, remember, we spent the whole offseason thinking it was going to be Drew Locke, just assuming, well, they traded for Drew Locke. And both guys had a, about a similar resume. Yeah, and I think right? they they that was a genuine competition where they let that play out and Geno Smith was just obviously the better guy throughout training camp preseason whatever he won the job I just never knew when to buy into it I feel I, I'm I'm buying you went from Geno curious like we're in yeah we're in I, yeah I'm no longer Geno curious I'm I'm a Geno I, I buy the Geno stock I'm in where is it symbol buy all the Geno stock I'm in are they sponsoring today who knows no they're not okay. you know who is though buy it anyway Western and Southern, the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home? Planning to start a family? Wondering how to make your money grow? Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, what else do we have in the 1 o'clock slate here? Houston Texans, 13 Jacksonville Jaguars six. We got the 2017 Browns. Which one didn't win a game? I mean, they went they won one game across a two year period, so you got a pretty good shot. One of those Browns teams and Dan Orlovsky's 2008 Detroit Lions are popping the champagne because the Texans win a game. The last team. They're also tied a game, so they couldn't be couldn't match. But it's like Dan's team. There's 17 games now. You got to just it's. It's it's about this. It's about the zero in the win column. Okay. It's not about the loss column. It's about the zero in the win column. And the Lions, and whichever Browns team that was, they earned the zero in the win column. The Texans, however, will not be joining them. They moved to one three and one with the victory over the Jaguars at two and three. Yeah. Houston has now beaten Jacksonville for nine straight games. That can't be right. It's right. I missed that. It was eight straight coming into this game. It's now nine straight because they won this game. And that's a cross. I mean, they've all, and they've all had like that has to account 12 for coaches. Quite, yeah. That, well, so that has to account for quite a large amount of Houston's total wins in that period. Yeah. That goes back to like uh, Gary Kubiak probably in, uh, in Houston. Anyway, that's we do talk. We talk a lot about the Bucks Saints matchup and Rams 49ers. We missed it. Texans Jags matchup. Yeah. I it. mean, it's, it's another one of those games where. You know, Jacksonville has some weird hacks over the Colts at home. Apparently, Houston has a weird hacks over Jacksonville, just period. Yeah, like the in the last three years, including this season, Houston has uh, nine wins. Two, four, five of which have come against Jacksonville. Oh, wow. A couple notable plays here. First overall pick, Trayvon Walker, with a personal foul wasn't even a roughing the penalty right uh, roughing the passer they they killed the play anyway throws davis mills to the ground on a play that's being whistled dead that puts that you know 15 yard penalty puts the 
That was on the the Texans game winning drive. Yeah, because he was um, it was a dead ball foul because it was encroachment or you know the, what unabated to the quarterback whatever the hell the call was. Yeah. It was a pre snap penalty. He was unabated, but then he decided. I'm going to keep going. He decided to be abated. Right. Yes. <laughs> he went full abated on Davis Mills, spiked him to the ground. And um, that was the only time he sniffed the quarterback other than one other play, actually, Trayvon Walker. He had one other pressure in this game. Uh, so far, Trayvon, my, my Trayvon Walker watch, well, he's in the 40s from a pass rush grade standpoint. He's got those couple spectacular coverage plays, and he was a stud in run defense in this one. Um, I, early Khalil Mack had this ability where he was like so good in the run game you're just like the dude uses his hands he sheds blocks he wasn't a great pass rusher his rookie season in 2014 and then by year two he did I'm not predicting that yet for Trayvon Walker but I could see it kind of happening but right now he's just not winning one-on-ones and his penalty was a huge part in this game you also have Damian Pierce going full beast mode Mm. for a guy I mean I just love watching Damian Pierce run the ball and he averaged 3.8 per carry but a 20-yard spectacular rumble in there. That was a lot like, uh, it was genuinely a lot like Marshall Lynch carries where you would watch him run and you're just certain that he's going to score for no good reason, you know? Yeah. There's no way he should get through this gap, and yet you know he is. Like he's going to rumble his way and beat people and just dominate physicality. Damien, like, I was certain Pierce was going to end up in the end zone at the, at the end of that run for literally no reason he should have been stopped 10 yards short of the end zone i was like oh he's gonna he's gonna score here and then just came up short but that was an incredible run um appreciate the youtube chat by the way reminding people to uh smash the thumbs up you gotta hit the likes god knows you haven't the proportion of uh people watching to likes is just it's just not good we pride ourselves on being like 75 percent. we never get there yeah but if you set these high and unattainable (laughs) goals it's good to throw them out there Okay. You know, just we want seventy five percent of people. Our to pride has taken a beating, but we yeah. do pride ourselves on it. Yeah. Okay. It's good. It's good to throw unattainable goals out there just in case you reach them. Yeah. You know. Um, man, Jaguars hype is gone. Yeah. Remember the uh, is Trevor Lawrence a top ten quarterback right now? No. Because no. people people asked the question and people said yes to the question and now people look kind of silly for saying yes to the question, whereas cooler heads we're saying how about we just get past two reasonable games and see if it continues but it hasn't hasn't continued really really silly red zone interception for trevor lawrence where he just threw the ball to Derek stingley um there was a lot of interceptions yesterday where play is flowing in one direction and the problem with that is if you're going to throw the ball you need to at least factor in what's going to come from the other direction you know if everybody's going right the receiver's going right. There's DBs trailing. The receiver's going right. You're running right. The pass rush is running right towards you. There's always somebody already on the right who's just waiting for the ball to come in his direction. You know what I mean? And you have to be at least aware there might be something over there that I need to factor into this play. That was the Kirk Cousins thing. The, the throw into the open window was closed because it was a guy over there on the right just waiting for that ball to be in the air. And then he could come left, cut in front of it, and oops, interception. So there was the Kirk Cousins one. There's a whole bunch of these plays. This was one of those plays where Lawrence is flowing right and Derek Stingley's just sitting there in the corner of the end zone waiting for the ball to be in the air, and then Yoink picks it off. Um, Stingley had another play, really nice one, late in the game, the final sort of attempt at a drive. Uh, It was a cover two shot, and Stingley got enough depth uh, from his cornerback spot, batted it away, uh, pass breakup. 
uh, impressive performance from him. But like this is it was a bad, uh, bad interception and a bad game generally by Trevor Lawrence. The Jaguars had been doing such a good job scheming up the underneath stuff. Remember early in the year, I mean Christian Kirk. What do you have? Three yards in this one. The uh, yeah. Oh no, sorry, three targets, eleven yards for Christian Kirk on a long of six. Was was that the uh, lateral play? He had a long of six, according to NFL GSIS, but 11 receiving yards. That's cool. Um, But Trevor Lawrence finishes 8 for 22 on 10-plus yard throws. Despite a couple of dimes to Evan Ingram down the seam. Like, he had a couple of nice passes to Ingram, who had a couple of spectacular catches at the end of them, but, like, nothing else. Okay. We're going to overreact to Trevor Lawrence every single week. He turned a corner. We did a, yeah. Every time we've turned a corner, we've, we've asked if we he turned didn't. a corner. He, we just asked the question. We posed the question. Other people overreacted. We yeah. just said, no, let's We posed let's the question, chill. has he turned a corner? Not yet. Um, after the last two weeks. One was in the rain against the Eagles. My question for Lawrence, and the, the place where I think I've been most wrong, is when he's in these down-a-touchdown situations, of which there's been a lot in yeah. two years. There's been a lot of situations where it's like, Hey, look, Trevor Lawrence is in a fourth-quarter comeback opportunity here. It's just not there. He's, it's just not there. The same, the same it factor or whatever you want to call it that you see with other quarterbacks, the fact that say what you want about Jimmy Garoppolo, but for whatever reason in those situations he comes through so far in his career and that other quarterbacks seem to have that or they you know the Eli Mannings of the world Eli Manning would play this terrible game but because he's so aggressive he would just make these comebacks or whatever it is just not seeing that yet from Trevor Lawrence I thought he'd have that I thought he'd have not so much the the it factor but like the I'm going to make some stupid throws when the game's on the line and instead he's just missing throws with the game on the line and I don't like that Okay. I don't think that's good. No, it's not. I don't think that's good. That's my conclusion. I mean, the same thing happened week one. I mean, it was his rookie, his debut, but against the Texans last year, early in the season. So good on Houston. Watch Damian Pierce. Reason to watch Houston Texans is Damian Pierce every single week. Watch the running back. I mean, they've got some fun players. Damian Pierce, Stingley had a great game. Um, Nico Collins made a spectacular catch late in the game that helped. They've got some exciting players to actually watch albeit the sum of it all doesn't necessarily add up to an awful lot all right a couple more one o'clock games here tampa bay bucks 21 atlanta falcons 15 the bucks get up 21 nothing falcons come back they get within six they did the whole hey if you're down 14 Mm. and you score a touchdown to get within you know a score and it works so nobody complains you don't just kick the extra point you go for two so that you can get within six so that if you do get the ball back, you're going for a game-winning touchdown rather than a game-tying touchdown. And if you fail the two-point conversion, you're still down eight. You still need a two-point two, two conversion anyway. Smart move by the Falcons. It's all for naught, though, because the Bucks drive down. They get the third uh, third down sack. Grady Jarrett spikes Tom Brady to the ground. No, he just sacked him. It was a terrible, terrible, terrible roughing the passer call yes. against Grady Jarrett. And as always, I bring context to the party here, Sam. The play before, though, the Falcons, the game should have been over as the corner for the Falcons tackled Scotty Miller, who then caught the ball out of bounds. So a uh, couple bad calls. That, that call wasn't worse than the roughing the passer. I'm just saying <laughs> that there were two, a couple bad calls there. And then maybe a questionable 
AJ Terrell holding on the previous third down against Mike Evans. Yeah. He at least touched him. The though. pass interference call, or the, not pass, the roughing the passer call was obnoxiously bad. Um, they, you know, Jerome Boger justified it afterwards by saying the quarterback was thrown to the ground unnecessarily, which is the kind of tag word for the rule. Like, otherwise, if you, if you hadn't used that term, you literally wouldn't be able to justify the call. But using that word... He's just going with what I think I saw. Well, using that word yeah. is at least why he thinks it's a penalty, because that's the word in the rule that makes that a penalty. But the point is what happened was not unnecessarily throwing into the ground. So now I understand why you called it incorrectly, but you still inco- you still called it incorrectly. Like, he just sacked him. He just took him to the ground. They, he just simply threw him to the ground in the course of stopping the play. That's not unnecessary. That's literally necessary in order to end the play. Because if you don't do that, then in this world of quarterbacks fighting through contact and still getting rid of the ball, he, the play's still alive. Like, you can't just get there, grab hold of his jersey, and then wait for a whistle. This isn't, you know, it's not tag. It's not flag football. It's not thud contact. It's it's the NFL. The dude has the right to get to you and throw you to the ground. That's still NFL defense. Yeah, I mean, it was a tackle. He just tackled him. He sacked him. Yeah. So what would have happened is the Falcons, with about two minutes left, would have had... A comeback, a comeback opportunity against the Bucks defense. They had just scored the last 15 points in that game. That would have been an intriguing comeback. Mariota made a few big throws. They did, they did a nice job, Atlanta, at least, you know, hanging tough. The Bucks for the second straight week, just decided, um, forget the run game. We're just putting it in Tom Brady's hands once again. He dropped back 52 times. The entire first half was pretty much uh, the pass game. And with a healthy Chris Godwin, Mike Evans back out there, and some of the underneath stuff overall pretty solid passing attack by the Bucks. however at the end of the day still only scored 21 there's still something missing from previous Brady Bucks teams that didn't score you know they're you know with Brady they've been scoring 28 30 points a game through the last couple of years so there's still a little something missing there red zone efficiency whatever it might be but overall it does seem like the Bucks are going away from that first three weeks where they were as run heavy as any team in the league besides you know yeah. the I think having receivers back is a big part of it. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, it was a it was a battle for first place in the NFC South. It was. Falcons hanging tough. No, no Cordero Patterson, Tyler Algier, Marcus Mariota had sixty one yards, including a twenty three yarder in there, and spreading the ball around as far as their receiving core goes. Bucks defense got to Mariota five times as well. They did a good job. Pretty much again until the until the second half, the Bucks offense as well. The deep, well, the Atlanta defense, they they had had no success against Brady and the Bucks. They at least made life a little bit more difficult in this one. Some tighter window throws and everything. You got a couple spectacular plays from Mike Evans down the field, but um, I think coming out of this, the Bucks still have a pretty good defense overall. I, how do you feel about the I think the offense is going to get there you know I think the fact that they've gone back to chucking it around trusting their playmakers trusting Brady to make good decisions got away with one early but overall taking care of the ball pretty well as he always does I think the offense will get there while the defense is a, a little bit ahead right now yeah I was a little bit not worried but 
I don't think this is a great game for the Bucks offense in terms of like Atlanta is a very good get right spot in terms of, for a, yeah. a defense. The fact that they they didn't quite get right isn't great for them. I do think that it's a, it's going to be a better offense the longer the season goes when they get people back healthy when everything is sort of there in terms of personnel. It is a it's going to be a better team. But the fact that they kind of stalled after a hot start against Atlanta is not a great sign. Yeah, Brady's a little quick right now getting rid of the ball. I, I, their their offensive line was fantastic. Luke uh, Gadecki at left guard still seems to be an issue. Yeah. Um, they did have, we've talked about Scotty Miller kind of screwing Brady on a couple. Scotty had a couple deep ball opportunities here. Brady left uh, a little bit short, including, again, the pass interference. I just want to explain the pass interference really quick here because I tweeted out the video and everybody's like, well, he caught it out of bounds. It's uncatchable. Like, just watch the line that he's running. If he doesn't literally get tackled by the Falcons' corner, he's Scotty Miller has a chance to catch that along the sideline. But he gets tackled, pushed out of bounds, and then the ball goes out of bounds. Any ball that's along the sideline, unless it's like 15 feet in the air, <laughs> is pretty much catchable because a guy can go there, get to the sideline, and jump, even if it lands out of bounds. So you just have to understand perspective a little bit. Um, anyway, it's, it did seem like the Bucks were saying, we're going to win through the pass game. That's how we're going to win going forward. And we're going to use Evans and Godwin, but we're going to spread it around. We're going to take our deep shots with our speed receiver, hit the underneath stuff when it's there. The Bucks are back to at least strategically what they were doing last year, and we'll see how that works out for them. Falcons fall to two and three. They're, they're kind of like the Jets for me where they just feel a little bit better than last year, even though they won more games. They won some games last year. The Falcons just feel competitive week in, week out. Arthur Smith keeping them competitive. They have a unique style as far as the run game goes. They just traded Deion Jones to the Browns, by the way, for a late rounder. Also notable. Mm -hmm. Anything else on this? You got nothing. Nope. Tennessee Titans 21, Washington Commanders 17. Titans move to 3-2. and two. They do it again, Sam. Yeah. Classic Titans. Get up early and hold on late. Yeah, just about. Just I mean, they got up 7 nothing. It was a, it was a back-and-forth game. Um, it's just a weird game, man. The Commanders, this reminds me of the, ironically, against the Titans a couple of weeks ago. The Derek Carr Raiders game against the Titans, where I'm like, wow, Derek Carr had some spectacular throws. He's flipping the field with big-time throws. He was awesome, but just, they just didn't get it done in the red zone. And that was kind of Carson Wentz in this game. The final, so Wentz ends up throwing uh, an interception to end the game. A couple of things, so there were a couple of plays yesterday where, you know, you get those late last second turnovers where once you get the turnover, the game's over. Even if it doesn't end in that play, you know, you get 40 seconds left or whatever, you can now kneel the game out and it's over. So go down. Stop the play. You've got the turnover ended two different times yesterday a guy got the turnover and tried to return it and you're like this is like the game is literally over yeah this was one david long jr the linebacker right david long the linebacker not the corner yeah had the interception and then just kept trying to return it and you're like if you fumble this away and you end up like that can cost you the game just go the hell down the texans had one as well uh desmond king i think got the the turnover and kept trying to return it oh on the short hail mary again yeah go down the game is over 
Like, okay, if the Red Seas part and you have literally an uncontested path, 100 yards for a touchdown, by all means, get yourself on the scoreboard. Otherwise, take the knee because the only thing that can happen is bad for you. Anyway, they both got away with it. The fascinating thing about this was that... Hold uh, on, hold on, really quick. That opens up one of my favorite football game endings of all time was the Jaguars-Giants 2000 preseason game. Oh, God. The interception in the end zone by the Giants, right? It ended the game. The guy intercepted it, and his teammate tackles him, tackles his teammate to say, get down. He's tried to tackle his own teammate, instead forces a fumble that lands in the end zone. Jaguars recover, get the win. That's not ideal. But David Long, I, I don't know who the teammate was. Somebody was trying to tackle David Long down the field. I'm like, don't tackle your teammate. He, he might yeah. force a fumble. There was a defensive lineman running with him was trying to tell him to get the hell down. Yeah, tell him get times. down, but don't tackle him. Well, he was trying and sort of, you know, being like, yeah. get down. Anyway, you were going to say something. So the Washington, Carson Wentz has a chance, right? He's got the ball late in the game. He's driving, he's driving, he's driving. And uh, we, get, we get first and goal at the two, you know? Yeah. First and goal at the two, they run... With 19 seconds left. So they're, they're going to be passes. Three passes, the third of which ended in an interception, the first two of which could have been intercepted. Wentz had three shots at the end zone and tried to throw a pick all three times. The first one he tried to throw away and almost got picked off at the back of the end zone. The one he almost threw away was really spectacular. There wasn't a receiver in the area. No. And, and when you're at the two, like you could just throw it into the stands. Yes. But he lofted it along the back line of the end zone. So a, I think his tight end was doing that kind of to the, to the back of the end zone and, and along the, the end line motion and then reversed. I, I don't think he can have been aiming for him because at the point where he's releasing, he's already well into the reverse part of it. Unless he just like took a glance at where he was running and then focused on the point that he was going to try and drop the ball and sort of never you know took his eye off the tight end so if you're giving him the benefit of the doubt it's in the area where that tight end would have ended up but it still feels terrible but either way like awful could have been should have been intercepted with Fulton catching it just out of bounds the second one was a tight pass in a double coverage almost exactly the same as the actual interception just uh, in the middle rather than to the left and then the third one where he actually had completed his, his attempted interception and the game's over. I mean, you talk about how, you know, late in the game with, with everything on the line, things aren't going well for Trevor Lawrence. I mean, this is as bad as it gets. Like, three shots, you put the ball in your quarterback's hands, give him three attempts from, what, the two-yard line, and he eventually threw an interception but tried to throw it three times. Yeah, that was the only time the... Uh... That was the only time Washington got into the red zone, actually. I don't know what to do with that because as a Commanders fan, not that I am, I'm just saying if I was. I was going to say. As a Commanders fan, I would come out of this and be like, man, we just unlocked De'Ami Brown. Yeah. Look at him. 75-yard bomb, another bomb for a touchdown. Looks spectacular. I mean, that was the type of deep threat that he provided at North Carolina. That is a perfect um, – you know, Jahan Dotson wasn't there, but – a perfect compliment to when Dotson's out there with Terry McLaurin and what you have in Curtis Samuel. Like, everything makes sense. Uh, Logan Thomas, when he's healthy, it's like, wow, this is a pretty good group. And Wentz throws for 359 and 9.4 yards per attempt, but they just don't have much of a running game. By the way, shout out to Brian Robinson. 
mm-hmm. who uh, just got shot in the buttocks about six weeks ago. Once. I think only one was in the buttocks. One okay. was in the, the general leg vicinity. Okay. The other one, I think, was the buttock. I've never recovered from a gunshot wound, but I imagine this is a pretty quick recovery. I mean, six weeks impressive. feels like pretty quick. It yeah. was six weeks, like six to eight weeks, whatever yeah. it was. Which is good for him. One, had, I think they were saying one of the bullets passed through his leg and through his knee and somehow didn't do any damage. Like, well, not any damage, but no. Didn't wreck anything long term, you know? So shout out to Brian Robinson for coming back. Um, as pass game and anti-run game people over here, it's like, oh, Washington's run game is, I mean, they need to run the ball effectively. I feel like they need to put less on Carson Wentz's plate. But I've been the, I've been the one saying, hey, Wentz has to, you know, let's, let's, let's live and die by this. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. When I say that, <laughs> I mean, I want Wentz to make, I want him to hit the bombs. I want him to hit De'Ami Brown on the deep post. I want those throws. I don't want the five-yard turnover-worthy play from Carson Wentz. I want him to be aggressive because you've got the deep shots. He had some beautiful throws. And uh, one fell incomplete, I think, one of his better ones. I want that from Wentz because you can you have that field-flipping ability. Um, same discussion I've had with Derek Carr. But also, like, like Derek Carr in the Titans game, it's like, well, if you, if you can't put it in the end zone, once you get into the red zone, it's, it's trouble. I, so I don't know what you do with Carson Wentz at this point because you look at that receiving group in Washington – Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, De'Ami Brown showed that he can still be an effective deep threat, albeit basically for the first time in his NFL career. You know, Anto- the running backs that they have with Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick, Brian Robinson had, a, had a, uh, his debut. He'll be good based off what we saw of him in the preseason. That's a really good group of playmakers, of receivers to work with. And yet Carson Wentz is out here not really doing a whole lot with them. And when the game's on the line with the ball in his hands three times, he tries to throw to the defense three times rather than his own players. That's not great. And, you know, you look at last year, and Taylor Heineke was a disaster relative to what I think expectations were based off, you know, brief glimpse against Tom Brady and the, the Bucks when he gave them. He was the best, he was the best quarterback that faced the Bucks in that postseason, you know, just in terms of the individual game. He played an outstanding game. And even if it looked like he might be a roller coaster ride as a starter, it wasn't really. It was just a flat line of nothing. Um, Wentz was supposed to be a significant upgrade over that. He's been an upgrade. I don't know if it's been significant, though. And now he's, you've reached the point where you're like, is Carson Wentz holding back what is an otherwise very talented offense? Now, also, by the way, the offensive line has been worse than it should have been because they've been I mean, they depleted got, with injuries. They got down. wrecked in this game yeah. other than Charles Leno. They've been depleted by injuries. They're down to like a third-string center. They, you know, they've got some problems there as well. Last year's offensive line was a top, what, five, six pass-protecting type of group. So Heineke had that working in his favor and Wentz doesn't this year. But I would say the receiving group this year is better than Heineke was working with last year. Either way, I think we just reached this point where you're like, Wentz is not maximizing the talent that's around him right now, but I don't see an obvious, I don't see an obvious fix for that, and I don't see an obvious alternative, because I don't think you can honestly say Heineke gives you a better shot at this point. I don't think you can say that Sam Howell gives you a better shot based off his preseason, which had some big plays in it, but looked a lot like 
the preseason that sort of says this guy is a long way away from being able to execute an NFL offense. Yeah, I think Howell's last preseason game was pretty good. I don't want to completely overreact to his first few games, but he looked not ready. Yeah, so opinion, I think you're just sure. kind of you're now stuck in this world where Wentz is not holding up his end of the bargain and you don't actually have any better alternative. They do actually. That is like the one team. I, I don't want to use the word balance. They just they need to be able to attack they need to be able to play offense in different ways they need to be able to run the ball effectively so that it's not all on Carson Wentz I will actually say that from the Titans perspective Jeffrey Simmons continues his all pro caliber season note to any all pro voters out there maybe Jeffrey Simmons could get a vote you know any no okay Jeffrey Simmons 91 plus grade 91 pass rush grade this and so in this week's which Titan stepped up which unexpected Titan stepped up besides Jeffrey Simmons you got Rashad Weaver Tier Tart all of your defensive linemen and Terrence Mitchell in his third game with the Titans playing pretty solid at cornerback so and of course David Long the guy that sealed the deal with the interception on the goal line certainly relevant that you know the the conversation we had about Washington's interior being depleted that's going to help Jeffrey Simmons continue the all-pro run it goes both ways it does it does go both ways so did you bury the Titans did I bury them? Did you bury them early on? I don't think they're good, but I said uh, nobody's going to run away with that division. Therefore, we, they're going to be alive. We've been saying that for three years. They're going to be Titans. alive in like week 12, even if they're one and, you know, 11. Titans moving back into first. They are the first place team in the AFC South, three and two. Commanders, the lone, well, not even just under 500 record in the NFC East, but by far the worst team in the NFC East now at one and four. All right, four o'clock games. Philadelphia Eagles, 20. Arizona Cardinals, 17. It's an odd game, wasn't it, Sam? Yeah. Eagles get up early. Was it 14-0? Cardinals come back. Marquise Brown, a spectacular 25-yard touchdown, weaving through the defense. Cardinals battled back. But the Eagles, death by a million QB sneaks. Death by a million QB sneaks. Yeah. Um, I say it every week. The Eagles have multiple ways to win. And one of them is, you know, Jalen Hurts running for two and three yards. So all the time. Hertz was another one of those quarter, another quarterback with one of those didn't see the guy folding back from the other side of the field thing when everything's flowing in one direction. Yeah. He had another one of the, like, there was a lot of those yesterday. Um, and that was really... That's why they tell everybody about Mahomes to throw back across your body. Yeah, it's why that was generally a sort of cardinal sin that, that Brett Favre is the classic poster child of the guy that kept doing that and never got away with it. Mahomes, for some reason, showed up and despite sort of Brett Favre turbocharged type of playing style it works for him it, it doesn't ever work for it didn't ever work for Brett Favre uh but seems to work every time Mahomes does it but generally speaking that was a no-no but even this isn't even like the throwing back across the body thing this is just the unawareness lack of awareness that when you're heading in a particular direction not everything is coming from the same direction you're you're going you know what I mean yeah there's also stuff on the other side of the field that you haven't factored into the play yet and you need to at least take a look at before you put the ball in the air. You just did a complicated version of don't throw back across your body. No, but that's what I'm saying. It's not throwing. You're not throwing back. Like you're flowing just, in that direction. You're throwing it all. It's like a you're th- you're not throwing backwards. You're throwing forwards. Oh, I see. You are flowing in the same direction as the guy you're targeting. Oh, in the fall, it's just that over there, there's already a guy sitting there waiting for the ball to come in his direction. Like you haven't factored in somebody cutting back from the place that you're rolling to. Uh, Jalen Hurts with two touchdowns on the ground. Again, the QB sneaks working really well. Uh, He's got to be approaching those, you know, Cam Newton, 
recordy touchdown milestones, right? He is. He had, I've seen I've seen some of those. He had a ton around. of them in yeah. his rookie year, or not rookie year, last year. Right? I mean, that's the NFL right now. Lamar Jackson, whatever that number was, four thousand rushing yards. He was the fastest to get there, and he's like the fifth all-time quarterback to get there. We're yeah. in year five for Lamar. Um, Jalen Hurts is going to be up in that that Cam Newton level of rushing because they're just doing it more, right? I mean, he's he rushed 15 times in this game. Yeah. Hurts. The same number as Miles Sanders. You don't see quarterbacks run 10 times very often, never mind 15. Um, but once again, the Eagles are just going to try to attack what they can defensively, What you know, attack what makes sense. Dallas Goddard was the guy this week that had the most receiving yards on this team. We've seen it be Devontae Smith. We've seen it be A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown barely did anything after the beginning of the game. And the Eagles still win. Yeah, find De- ways to win. Devontae Smith with 10 catches. Um, big game because it was inside and he wasn't cold. I think yeah. That's obviously the key to, to Devontae Smith's play. What's going to happen when they're hosting a playoff game? I mean, look, they're going to have to bundle that man up in some serious insulation. Yeah. He doesn't like the cold. No. I mean, maybe, well... That clip that was going viral, that's what we're talking about here. Tom Brady always plays in like a full-on, you know, wetsuit like the neoprene diving suit to keep him warm in the cold. Can, you can't do that as a receiver, right? Like there's got to be some restriction of motion problems with those things, right? Surely? Yeah. I mean, receivers are the guys that didn't like wearing knee pads because it, does, you know, it doesn't feel good when you're running. Can you imagine bundling yourself up in a full like neoprene wetsuit? That's not going to fly. I mean, I can't believe Brady ever threw in that thing. It's got to be mobile enough to throw. Yeah, but like it's it's one thing just standing relatively stationary in a pocket and having enough. You're saying Brady can't maneuver the pocket? I'm saying he can't run and manipulate his body in the way Devontae Smith can. Anyway, you can solve Devontae's problems later. Eagles pass rush, getting home, a bunch. Brandon Graham, 90-plus grade, but no sacks. All right. No sacks. No sacks. Classic Brandon Graham grade. <laughs> Hassan Reddick, though, always finding the quarterback. Uh, this, was a, this was the opposite of what the Eagles had before. A lot of pressure, but not a huge not. Um, not a ton of sacks necessarily, but they pressured Kyler. The Cardinals had all of their running backs get injured until Eno Benjamin was left. They just feel like a mess offensively. They are so bad at maximizing the potential of the unique playmakers that they have on offense. It's it's actually so. Apparently... I've seen a lot of people complaining about them tr- forcing the ball to Rondale Moore. Yeah, it shouldn't be that hard to get the ball to Rondale Moore. I understand he's small, but so are other receivers in the NFL. He can do more than simply be a gadget gimmick guy that you have to force feed on, you know, jet plays or bubble screens and all that kind of stuff. Like, just actually deploy him more. Mark, like, they have so many insanely talented athletes, and there's no indication of that from the offense. Apparently, you know, Cliff Kingsbury said something like, oh, yeah, those the run plays to Kyler, they're in the playbook when we need them. Well, you kind of need them right now, you know? know? If you don't need them now, I don't know when you're saying that you actually need those because this team is basically dead and buried at this point um, in a big hole unless they start winning quickly. And he had, what, four carries? On the other side of the field, Jalen Hurts carries like half the offense. Kyler can do a lot of that. Like, give him, let the guy take advantage of the the scampering, you know, chicken ability that he has. Everything that we complimented the Cardinals for early last season, 
granted they still had they had deandre hopkins and i do i am sure. wondering how much that is in effect here but last year the cardinals offense it was like they were attacking every level of the field they had gone they had never been a good middle of the field intermediate passing team kyler had really stepped up his game there schematically they were better so you could throw down the field you could throw intermediate you would throw short because it's air raid you're always going to have your short concepts plus kyler was running the ball when necessary and rondell moore was just a nice change of pace in that mix right now you know how sometimes you have like a quarterback averages 10 yards per attempt and the next week it's five or whatever it is it just feels like the same cardinals offense every single week kyler murray's passing grades are consistent in the same area in the low 60s pretty much 60 range look at his yards per attempt just as an example of what you're seeing when you watch the cardinals offense every game this year 5.7 5.7 5.4 6.5 and 6 yesterday kyler murray should be uh just using passive yards per attempt as like a proxy here this should be a team that's striving to get the ball down the field a little bit more and that's why i wonder if when you but it feels like that you have to use marquise brown as a high volume possession receiver and they'll 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 you know mix it in down the field aj green at this point in his career is pretty much that right he's got to be like the end of your career reggie wayne type just uh possession big possession guy rondell moore is your gimmick guy like you just don't you're just they're just not attacking all levels of the field well enough in arizona yeah, and I still think the I mean the offense overall is just too predictable and not creative enough in terms of the unique playmakers that you have. Like if you have one of the things that's incumbent on a coach to do is to understand when you have unusual but spectacularly talented players and they don't necessarily fit into the cookie cutter mold that you have within your offense, it's on you to adjust the mold for the guy that you have. Like you don't have to do that if you get a random dude from the fifth round who doesn't actually have an awful lot of talent and doesn't fit into your offense when you have guys that are spectacular athletes and have ability to change games but don't fit in your offense change your offense and there's no evidence that the cardinals want to do that right now and have for a while so if you don't have a deandre hopkins who does fit into the offense conventionally you're kind of in trouble because nobody else does so you either just stumble along until Hopkins comes back into the fold or change some things. Yeah. Jordan Davis watched, by the way, first-round interior defensive lineman. Career-high 29 snaps okay. for him. He's been consistently between 22 and 29 snaps so far this season. A lot of snaps season. in the game to be had. What's that? It was a lot of snaps in the game to be had. Yeah, I'm just saying. They have, much like usage pattern at Georgia, it's not high percentage of plays we haven't seen jordan davis play a ton of football just yet but he's playing pretty well overall just throwing that out there okay eagles win in different ways my takeaway every single week move to five and oh still the last undefeated team here they got the cowboys next week man yeah dak might be back day to day the people don't want dak back <laughs> dallas 22 God. rams 10 cooper rush undefeated best record in nfl history at quarterback mm. 22 to 10 dallas over the rams another one you loved this matchup for <sighs> dallas didn't so, love it for the rams so mad that i 
picked the Rams to cover that line. I knew that this was a crappy matchup for them. And then I just talked myself into the idea that Cooper Rush couldn't possibly go undefeated as a starting quarterback. And it still shouldn't be you the case. You talked me out of this too. But damn it, that pass rush just wrecked the Rams offense. So early, as, as you got into the fourth quarter, this was, this was domination by the Dallas defense, by the way, yeah. outside of two plays. Matthew Stafford hit 2-2 Atwell on a deep post. Beautiful throw, beautiful catch, great play all around. And then there was a 75-yarder to Cooper Cup, a little shallow cross. He one-hands it, runs away from Trayvon Diggs and the rest of the defense. By the way, Trayvon Diggs was in coverage for both of those plays, so a, couple, you know, a lot of yardage there. Uh, but Cooper Cup, 75-yard touchdown. That was it. I mean, outside of that, the Rams had a field goal. Yeah. Matthew Stafford comes out of this game. I think they said he had a hand injury late he's already dealing with his elbow stuff this season his whole what i say his whole torso on the mm. daily like his whole torso seemed like it, it, i was cringing every time stafford got hit he's got a history of back problems and everything he was getting destroyed officially fa- uh, sacked five times on his um 47 dropbacks there but man dallas's defense is legit and Cooper Rush finishes, finishes 10 for 16 for 102. Tony Pollard with a 57-yard touchdown in there. So it was this grinded-out run game with Dallas and the dominant performance by the defense. Four out of the five uh, offensive linemen for the Rams that played more than 11 snaps. So take Bobby Evans out of it. Four out of the five Rams offensive linemen had pass-blocking grades of 40 or worse. Um, they got wrecked. They got absolutely destroyed up front. And this is what we're saying, that this Rams offense simply does not function if the offensive line is that bad. And Dallas has the kind of pass rush to make it that bad. Micah Parsons was dealing with, was it a a groin injury or something? He was kind of banged up and left the game for a bit and then came back and just continued to wreck shop. He had six pressures, a couple of sacks in there. Demarcus Lawrence with six pressures. Uh, Adigi Zuo with seven pressures. Like, they just won up front consistently, time after time after time. And on the other side, the Rams had Aaron Donald, and Donald was doing that as well. But again, as has been the case all damn season, only Aaron Donald. Donald was was destroying, and nobody else was doing anything for that defense. Yeah, this uh, just to start the game, it's third and one. Uh, Rams' first drive, and the Rams just go play action here. And David Edwards came back at guard, and he just, man, he went full turnstile against Dorrance Armstrong. <laughs> Stafford did try to secure the ball. So it's one of those, it's a bad block. Stafford makes it worse by putting it on the ground because he did try to secure it. He wasn't in the throwing motion or anything like that. He was bracing for the sack. Ball pops out, and Demarcus Lawrence returned it for a touchdown. So, I mean, for Dallas, you have their, um, was it, did they score just, what, two touchdowns? That was it, yeah. It was the long Tony Pollard run, and it's the fumble return for a touchdown. Outside of that, it was four field goals for Dallas. So it wasn't like, you know, again, both both defenses were really good. Both defenses gave up a couple big plays for touchdowns. Um, but it was Dallas's defense that got a score because Stafford did put the ball on the turf. Pass rush incredible for yeah. Dallas right now. And it really is, and it's... It's a, it was good enough that it was always going to make this a problem for the Rams' offense. And yeah, like if you take away that Cooper Cup play, which is one spectacular catch and run, the Rams' offense did nothing, nothing. Um, and they're in real trouble this season because of that. 
Look, Dallas is, is is about as bad as it's going to get in terms of exposing that offensive line. But the line has already shown this season that it's it's undermatched against pretty much everybody and against a good pass rush, it's in real, real dire straits. Um, and then a note, remember we said last week that the Rams are doing an awful lot to try and get Aaron Donald away from freaky double teams and all that kind of stuff, including lining him up out wide and having him rush from like a wide nine alignment and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Tyler Smith at left tackle for Dallas. The poor guy, like, just didn't see it coming. You know what I mean? Like, you kind of, you look out. And like, oh, ah, went right around him. Yeah, it's like, ah, it's Aaron Donald. I got this, you know? I don't have to deal with him inside. I only have to deal with him on the edge. I can cover that. And then Donald just straight around the outside. That's just, it's, it's freaky. I mean, okay, I said that Donald doesn't really have the straight line speed to win consistently from a wide line alignment, and that's true. But if he's in a little bit tighter, he's still capable of beating guys like Tyler Smith. He still has burst and pad level. Yeah, It is interesting, though, because you know J.J. Watt's the guy that was breaking our grading system early on, and he started his career on the interior and then started moving to the edge. But J.J. Watt, even though he's like heavy for, a, for an edge, 290, right? You're like, oh, he's got, the, he's got the body type to win on the edge. Donald doesn't have the body type you yeah. expect to win on the edge. It's not an ex- – like nobody expected that move, but it is – I think pretty smart of the Rams to move them, move them around. I don't even know if it's smart or if it's just what you're left with at the point where you genuinely can't get them away from double and triple teams otherwise. Yeah. The other thing about it is Dallas didn't do – the 49ers, you watch the tape, and it's like Donald doesn't have any shot. Like he is being – on a play where they actually need the pass protection for more than a second, i.e. it's not a wide receiver screen or anything like that, Donald was being double and triple teamed every single play. The Cowboys weren't. They were actually letting him be one-on-one on the inside, which is why Donald had his best game of the season. Like, he had one-on-one opportunities. Okay, sometimes it came against Zach Martin, and that's... I can understand, if you're Dallas, why you would do that, even though Donald versus Zach Martin is still a win for Aaron Donald most of the time. Um, but it feels like you would need to do a better job of what everybody else is doing and actually accounting for Aaron Donald with more than one guy for the Cowboys Micah Parsons two more sacks six total pressures Demarcus Lawrence six pressures Osa Digizua seven pressures Dorrance Armstrong as I mentioned had the sack and uh, fumble on one of his two pressures Dante Fowler added four pressures as well Cowboys are getting after it Cooper Rush remains undefeated yeah just saying I I can't I honestly can't believe that people are genuinely saying that he should start over Dak Prescott when Dak's healthy I can't it does. It doesn't. It, it short circuits my brain, and it just seizes up. I can't even fathom. It, it would be one thing if Dak had not had a lot of success. If he was just, you know, Baker Mayfield or whoever. Speaking of Baker Mayfield, thirty-seven to fifteen, San Francisco Forty ers over the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, I knew this was going to happen. Got it right. I beat Dan. I got this game right. <laughs> Finally. Yeah, this was one of your uh, two wins. I don't want to talk about it. Interesting note that we may have overrated. David Lombardi talking about the Jimmy Garoppolo and the Niners. Denver and L.A. were effectively preseason for Garoppolo. Today, Debo Samuel said, are we the touchdown? A good sign Garoppolo is going through regressions at regular season form. Not necessarily the number one read. I think I crossed the safety's face. I popped into Jimmy's vision, and he threw a dart. Um, basically, did we underrate 
look, I, I think we know what we're going to get from the 49ers and their offense and the playmakers and Garoppolo and all that stuff. But did we underrate the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo hadn't really played football, practiced football, wasn't expecting to play football at all, and did get thrown in there after the Trey Lance injury, and that he's actually, you know, rounding into form here these last couple of weeks. I mean, did, did he even – he was okay. Yeah, he was fine. It's I like mean, he, the Niners' defense it was always – This was a classic – Almost certainly going to shut down this Panthers' offense, yeah, right? Yeah, and this was a classic Jimmy Garoppolo game of like 8.4 yards per attempt with a grade in the 60s. Like, this is this is Jimmy in conjunction with Kyle Shanahan. He's not, made some good red zone throws the last couple of weeks, though. Yeah, again, but this is, again, like standard Jimmy Garoppolo, which is there's a reason he was the starting quarterback in the first place. There's also a reason they went away from him with, to the tune of three first-round picks. Like, this is what you get from Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, what? So right at the start of this game, the um, the 49ers marched down the field, scored like a very quick and pretty comfortable touchdown drive against the Panthers defense. And you're like, okay, Carolina's defense was the one bright spark they had going into this game. If it's gonna if it's gonna give up scores that easy, this is gonna be a tough day. And uh, it's kind of the way it went. They they tightened up a little bit as it went, but. The 49ers were able to put up points, and then, dude, that Panthers offense is just—it's just sad. Oh man, I, I don't want to spend too much time on Baker Mayfield, but and by the way, they got like a break because Nick Bosa goes down with a groin injury, and he's not there for the majority of the game. So, one of the biggest problems or obstacles they had to overcome wasn't a factor, and they still stank. 49ers lose Emmanuel Mosley. He has a pick six, and then uh, is it an ACL? Yeah. for him that's unfortunate yep. We're t- we've been talking a lot about how this this defense is cracking down another big game for Traverius Ward the linebackers both grading well uh, Mosley had a pick six on a pass again Baker just he he started like he did a couple weeks ago started making good throws like in garbage time after the game was over before that just so inconsistent um he's just spastic lost. in the pocket I mean it's second and 20 He's got a check down right in front of him. He double pumps it, overthrows it right to Mosley. Mosley takes it back to the house. Overthrows just, it by a mile. Just like bad just offense. Awful. Um, and then he, you know, eventually has a dime late in the game, and it's broken up. Like it's, nothing is functioning for this Panthers offense. And Baker Mayfield is playing badly. Although this is relative to the rest of the season, this actually wasn't a bad performance from him. He's playing badly, but. It's it's a collective failure from everybody. This entire offense is on its knees and not functioning. And Baker Mayfield is the obvious scapegoat because he's the quarterback, and that's where all the blame always goes. I think at some point he'll end up – they'll put in Sam Darnold whenever Darnold's healthy. It won't look any better when Darnold's there. Maybe P.J. gets to play beyond like, – yeah, he had a few snaps. I got that right, by the way. I said we'd see P.J. in this game. You didn't look at me like that. He had eight dropbacks. In a blowout? Uh-huh. Because Baker got hurt. And a goal line. Yeah, he got hurt. I'm just saying. I said we Left. see P.J. in the game. We saw P.J. The end. Did Mayfield get hurt again on the pick six, by the way? Yeah. His uh, shoulder? Somebody should probably tell him. Well, I guess if you're telling him to do things, you should tell him to stop throwing pick sixes. But once you've thrown the pick six, stop throwing your shoulder into Focus the on the process first. So the yeah. process, if you never throw an interception, you don't have to worry about tackling yeah, the interception. If you're trying to fix one thing. It should be stop throwing the ball to the defense. If, however, however, if you you've do, already thrown the ball to the defense, stop throwing your shoulder at the guy that you just threw the ball to. Yeah, that hurt me watching him. Although, to I mean, and know, then later at this point, 
ankle or foot or whatever it was. He was playing better last season with a broken shoulder than he's playing now. So maybe, what the hell, maybe it'll help. Let's throw it all out. Let's throw it his entire career. Good job by the Niners. Run game was cooking in this one. Tevin Coleman with the um, screen for a touchdown as well, as well as Debo getting into the end zone. Good win by the Niners. Moving to 3-2. and two. Panthers fall to 1-4. and four. There are rumors surrounding Matt Rule and his future. What is he, one in a million when they – what was the uh, what's He the stat? was one in 27 when allowing – twenty. when the defense allowed 17 or more points. It's probably one in 28 now? Yes, they are now one in 28. And Jeff Wilson cooking on the ground for the Niners with uh, 120 yards on 17 carries. You sent me the tweet, the – Pro Football Talk, the Mike Florio tweet I did. about uh, David Tepper. It was was that not weirdly worded? Yes, it was a very strange tweet. Uh, I've lost it right now. What did it say? Oh, here we go. If if everything I've come to believe about Panthers owner David Tepper is true, he'll fire Matt Rule tomorrow, i.e. today. That's that's just if all I know about David if Tepper. All is I've true. come to believe about Panthers owner David Tepper is true. Isn't that just a weird phrase yeah it's like it's hinting at you have sources it's not even necessarily hinting at sources it's just I, I don't know it's just a strange way of saying that it is it is strange it's Mike Florio but what according to Mike the David Tepper will fire Matt Rule today is that how you're gonna don't put those words into his mouth that's what he says oh he just said that again no he says if everything he's come to believe about Tepper is true yeah. Then he'll fire him today. That's just vague enough that he could be right or wrong. It's <laughs> perfect. I love it. I appreciate Mike Florio for that vagueness and fence sitting. I appreciate that. I mean, it, I haven't had enough coffee today. Look, I don't like calling for people to be fired generally, but I think you could fire him today and it wouldn't be seen as a rash decision. Put it that way. It's not a good situation in Carolina right now. It's a good situation for San Francisco. Three and two. All right, let's go Sunday Night Football. Baltimore Ravens 19. Cincinnati Bengals, 17. I kind of got this right. Uh, you, I mean, yeah. You, Bengals was, covered. Yes. Bengals covered. This was one of your two wins. Um, here's what I didn't think By was right. The, the reason why I liked the Bengals here is I thought the Ravens just play defense like they like to play. But they were playing your two high shells. They were making the Bengals win underneath. Jamar Chase, seven catches for 50 yards. And it was a lot of underneath stuff. And all the questions here in Cincinnati, why can't you create big plays? Why can't you create big plays? And as Joe Burrow said after, it's just if teams keep playing like this, there are no big plays to be had. There are no big plays to be had. Yeah, this, so um, Tyler will know this reference. You less so, I suspect. The Nate Diaz, UFC fighter, after... Yeah, I'm tuning out now. Up, uh, upsetting Conor McGregor. You know, they, they threw him on the mic after the... The thing, and they're like, oh, you should, this is a big surprise. And he responded with the iconic line, I ain't surprised, MFR. You know? <laughs> and it was big That's, That was Geno Smith's press conference last week. <laughs> yeah, Geno, similar thing. But also, this felt like what Marlon Humphrey would say after this game. You yeah. know? Like, uh, Jamar Chase didn't surprise me this time. Like, I actually, I knew it was coming. I had it covered. Got it. I, this is, I think, a good example of how 
teams are teams have understood now the threat that Jamar Chase brings to this offense and are not as willing or as susceptible to getting destroyed by it as they were last year. And Humphrey is the best example of that because I think he was the the most surprised by it last year. And Jamar Chase just went nuts on the Ravens twice last season. This game, it didn't happen. Like he still got the ball. They still gave him some targets, but like Marlon Humphrey was ready for it in a way he wasn't a year ago. And when he's ready for it, he's a different a different guy. And he had a, a very good game covering Jamar Chase. A lot of interesting stuff in this game. So the passing lines, the lines for both quarterbacks, uh, Lamar ends with a passer rating of 71. He, which easily could have been much higher. The Ravens had a third down play and a fourth down play. Yeah. Wide open. And Lamar was not under pressure on either play and overthrew both of those wide open touchdowns he also had the interception maneuvers the pocket a little bit overthrow throws a pick but then his best throws were like guys in his face and when he needed to mark andrews had 89 of the 174 receiving yards in this one and actually duvernay had 54 as well it was pretty much those two guys no one else had more than 10 but lamar would make his best throws under pressure hitting Mark Andrews when he needed to. And then some of the open stuff, it was Duvernay both times, I believe, right? Um, just missing. So accuracy was all over the place. But again, when the on the game-winning drive, when the Ravens need to get into position, there was a pretty good cat-and-mouse game there with the Ravens. But we can go through all the late game. There's a lot of late game decisions and, and things happening here. Yeah. Um, I This was one of those games where it's 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 always annoying when primetime island games you know the, the national tv audience is watching where players do things that reinforces what i think is an incorrect narrative or stereotype and there's still a giant chunk of people that believe hey lamar jackson yeah he's a great player but he's not really a passing quarterback you know if you've got a pass can't can't really get it done you know it's never really never really been that guy um and whatever the motivation behind that i think it's incorrect this isn't the kind this game doesn't help you know he goes out there and he just misses a couple of deep shots that would easily have connected on touchdowns and would have had Baltimore winning this game more comfortably than they did and he misses a couple of them and you're like god now he ends up with you know pedestrian grade pedestrian production and reinforces the incorrect stereotype that everybody has which is well Lamar's great as a rushing threat but can't really pass to win the game um, I mean, a lot of that stems from Lamar has had accuracy issues throughout his career. Now, I know. His MVP season, he rectified it and was spectacular. And then there was, you know, he's been a little up and down the last couple of years as a passer. Yes. But it's just like any other quarterback. Like, you miss some throws. It's just annoying when they time them for, you know, yeah. these types of these types of things. Um, Did you fix the... Uh... <laughs> I'm being given direction off camera. Sam, there's fuzz hanging off the back of your head that he can see from the camera. Oh, there's fuzz all over my head. That's the, uh, that's the hoodie there. Oh, that's see, what this that is, is? This is the problem with, with shaving your head. Oh, I thought you had... It acts as like a... I thought you had some... I thought you had like... Extra, had hair? Yeah, I thought you had hair growing in there. <laughs> no, you see, when you shave your head, you end up like a Velcro strip for your entire noggin. Look at yeah, the Yeah, the right side of your head is... At least it's off camera. Oh, wow, wow that's, that's a lot of... That's a lot of fuzz. At least it's not blinding our viewers. That's Thanks for letting me know a good hour after I took the hoodie off. That's Everybody that's be sure to helpful. give a thumbs up if you like uh, the fuzz in Sam's hair. <sighs> that's a lot of... Tylen Wallace. 
was the second deep Got it. miss. Are we good now? For Drake Holiday. Thank you. It's still hot. You see, look at this. Still like here. <sighs> yeah. You good now? No, but I, it was good as we're going to get, I think. Maybe I need like a... I'm trying to dig up the coverage scheme. Some kind right of lint here. roller for my head. Is that yeah. a thing that exists for ball people? Look, God damn it. Look, this is it's a disaster. It's like, oh, good God. I'm going to need some kind of head lint roller. Those things that you're supposed to like buzz over carpet and it just picks up all the crap. It's right. Oh, this wow. side is away from camera. We don't need to now worry about that. it's all over that. the table, man. You're making a mess. Yeah. I mean, look. People don't tell you about this stuff. You know, when you go bald? There's got to be some support groups or something you can be a part of. I just need, you know, functional instruction. It's like, you know, people complain that you don't get the real useful practical advice at school. Like nobody teaches you how taxes yeah. work and, you know, all these kinds of things, the, the real life skills. things. Yeah. yeah. Nobody teaches you that when you go bald, your head, you've got to shave it because otherwise you have that tufty comb over crap working. So you have to shave it, at which point your head becomes like a Velcro, you know, yeah. lint trapping disaster. Yeah. Don't. Like hoodies are risky. Apparently. Yeah. Wow. Well, now I know. And now I know as well. Now we all know. <laughs> all right. What happened in this football game? If we go back a little bit, so the, the, here's all the all the fourth down controversy. The Bengals, fourth quarter, they're down 13 to 10. So a field goal would tie the game. They go for it on what, fourth and two? Yeah. From the goal, from the goal, uh, fourth and two, fourth and goal from the two. They, um, first off, the entire drive for the Bengals was uh, pretty crappy. They go failed Philly special yeah. sack. I was wondering that, like what? The, the uh, receiver was going to throw it. Marcus Peters tackles him. They declared a sack for mm. that, I believe, because they, they said he was, he was trying to throw yeah. it. So you got a failed Philly special. You have whatever else the other play was. But the fourth down play was like the load it up on the left, roll it out, and do the little shovel back, and the, the Ravens were ready for it. There was a lot of discussion. Chris, I think, pointed out. Lyle Collins, I think, was supposed to pull on that play probably a part of the reason why the Ravens completely blew it up they were missing a lead blocker on that one so poor execution so play calling whatever you want to say there the fact that they went for it on fourth and two rather than tying the game theoretically you're like hey we're making the Ravens go 98 yards now if they want to score well the Ravens went 91 yards in eight minutes while up three and then they had a decision of their own they go with a few minutes left in the game. You know, it was like eight minutes left in the game. No, it was nine-something. They go, don't go for it on fourth and inches. John Harbaugh, who goes for all of these things. From the three. Fourth and inches from the three. That is a fall forward yeah. play. With this Lamar is, Jackson, a quarterback. With Lamar, a quarterback. Not that he's the best sneak guy or whatever, but like... Also, by the way, so... He's the best runner. Chris was bringing this up during the broadcast that because the Bengals did this. He was wondering in this world of now, again, the, the pains me, pains me to my very soul. He called it a scrum. Twice. Twice in the space of three seconds. And it call was like, right now. We'll it was like right a now, knife Chris. has been plunged into my be very heart. What should it be called? It's a mall. It's a mall. A scrum. A, mall. a scrum is when everybody Chris. gets together like this and you're trying to drive each other back, trying to win the ball. Sam. A mall is when the guy already has the ball. And a bunch of people like join on and drive the thing forward. I'm going to get you a shout out on Sunday Night Football. I think I think it's only fair. Sam um, says 
Anyway, when the he was making the point that uh, in this world of this being okay now, he was wondering when a team was just going to embrace it and go full like rugby and literally design the latch, like literally design the guy to come in behind the quarterback and just drive him forward. And I've been thinking, you know, when teams would line a defensive tackle up at fullback, there we go, and he would lead block through the hole. Oh yeah, teams should be doing that now, but instead of lead blocking for the running back. The 350-pound guy plows into the back of the quarterback and drives him over the line. I thought that's illegal. Well, they just made it legal? I, well, they've either made it legal or they simply don't care anymore, and they're not calling it. This either feels way, like a, something that the refs are going to focus on next year. Maybe, but either way, until they do, it feels like an area where you can take advantage and make quarterback sneaks literally unstoppable. And if you're saying, okay, it's Lamar, we don't want to you know, have him exposed to a 300 pound defensive tackle driving him in from you know driving into his back then fine don't have lamar put mark andrews under center or whatever the point being it feels now more than ever it should be basically unstoppable quarterback sneaks you know when you had to rely on just the quarterback burrowing his way into a hole fine that's a bit of an issue now quarterback can get stood up at the line and you can just have like whoever like uh patrick ricard can now take a five-yard run-up and plow into the back of that and drive it six inches further. You don't want to hurt your quarterback. That's what I'm saying. If you're worried about that, have the tight, have somebody else take the snap. The Chiefs do it with Travis Kelsey. I would be the Ravens so have done it with Mark to Andrews. Have a non-quarterback take a snap. The Ravens have already done it with Mark. Andrews. I know Andrews. they've done it, but like, you take a lot of snaps with a non-quarterback. One of those hits the turf, and it's like, oh, look, why is your tight end taking snaps? Because this is how we get the first down, guaranteed every time. So I was I was shocked that the Ravens d- went for it, didn't go for it. Look, I'm personally upset because that was probably the difference between them covering or not, and I picked that. So I am definitely biased in my interpretation <laughs> of this specific play, but I can't believe that they didn't go for that. Well, I was shocked that they, did, that they didn't. So they go 15 plays, 91 yards. On fourth and inches, they kick a 25-yard field goal to go up six. The danger in going up six, as we've mentioned here before, is you're – essentially telling the other team you're you're going for it on all four downs you're not you can't settle for a field goal we're in the fourth quarter even though it was early in the fourth quarter you can't settle for three you got to go for it you're opening up 25 percent more downs for the other team no matter what and it's also you no longer control the clock because the the real risk of this now look there's quite a lot of time left on the there's a lot of time but you're you're giving up the opportunity to go up two scores Right, yes. You're probably going to convert fourth and one. You're going to have first and goal from the two. If you score a touchdown, you're up two scores in the fourth, and that game is almost over. And also, That's why you would go for it. Then. Yes, but also the downside is once you turn the ball over to Cincinnati, who have nine minutes left on the clock and need a touchdown, if they execute that drive optimally, they can put the touchdown on the board and you have no time to answer, and you can't do anything about it. All you can do is play defense. So as it happened, the Bengals were able to score the touchdown, but they left enough time on the clock that you were able to answer. But there's nothing to say that's going to happen. Like They could have taken all nine minutes off the clock, put up a touchdown, and you're sitting there a point down with six seconds left on the clock going, I mean, well, I'm we're less just wor- You're less worried about that, though. That's, that's course, a rarity. because there's more time. There's but, more time. But that is the risk, is that you no longer control how this game ends yeah. in a way other than playing defense and hoping that you can get the stop. Like If they get the touchdown and they're able to chew the clock in the right way, you can't answer. Whereas if you go up two scores, you're going to get the ball back barring a, you know, a, an onside kick miracle. Now, the situation you're saying, it almost got to that point. 
the Bengals, so there were three total possessions in the fourth quarter. There were two possessions up till the two-minute warning, basically. So both teams. So the Ravens spent eight minutes with the ball. Bengals spend 744 with the ball. They go 13 plays, 75 yards. They, they did a nice job. They finally you know, stitched a drive together. Nice job by Burrow, the Bengals. Joe Mixon had some big runs on this one. They had the ball with, at the two-minute warning. First and goal. Or was it second and goal at that point? I was posing the question. Remember last year against Kansas City? Chiefs didn't have timeouts. It was a tie game. Completely different situation. But the idea being, we can't score too quickly because we don't want Patrick Mahomes to get the ball back. I did pose the question to the Twitter sphere. Even though you're down six, you don't want to mess around because you have to score a touchdown. But would you delay scoring the touchdown at all? Would you? Because once you score, Bengals scored, Joe Burrow, the, the, the mall, gets mm. mauled into the end zone, right? I just texted Chris. I told him. Tagged you on it. I said, please refer to it as a mall, not a scrum going forward. Bengals go up 17-16, but the Ravens are left with 158. And what do you need to go, 30 yards? For Justin Tucker, you just need to be in the area code, and Justin Tucker is going to, you know, knock it directly through the middle of the uprights. So, I, I don't think the Bengals could have pulled it off. The Ravens did have all three timeouts, and you can't mess around with like taking a knee or whatever it was. You can't, you can't do like a fake QB sneak and keep it at the one, and then hope you get in on third or fourth down. But it was just something to think about because then the Beng- the Bengals became helpless. Yeah. Um, and that was an interesting cat and mouse game because they started to show that Dolphins zero blitz look and all that stuff, and the Ravens had answers. They threw the ball underneath. Lamar on a couple of keepers, and they get into field goal range, and then Justin Tucker, automatic, 43-yarder. Free show. Ravens win. I tweeted last night that there are two types of kickers in the NFL. There are ones that go on a good run and look good for a while and then ultimately lose confidence and become either average or get cut, and there's Justin Tucker. There's, I guess, a third way, which is – a guy who should fit into the first category but never actually gets cut, which is Mason Crosby. But there's generally speaking two types of kickers, and Justin Tucker is the only one that is able to maintain just a consistent uh, distancing of his peers in terms of excellence. And people keep naming other kickers. And it's like, well, some of them have already proven to be in the first category. Like Daniel Carlson. Multiple people are like, well, he's in that category right now. He's elite. Like, yeah, but why Why do the Raiders have Daniel Carlson? <laughs> right. Because like a month into his NFL career, the Vikings kicked him out of the team for losing confidence and going on a crappy run. The fact that Mason Crosby has lost it multiple times in his career is, is one incredible. of the most insane things in the NFL. Right, because most kickers, like when you lose it, you, you can't afford a kicker that has the yips. There's functionally like no difference between Mason Crosby and Graham Gano, except that every time Graham Gano loses confidence and goes on a bad run, he gets cut. Whereas Crosby, they're just like, ah, I'll come out of it. Don't worry He'll about come it. come out of it. Oh, kicking is, is ridiculous. It is a cheat code for the Ravens because if he had to kick a 60-yarder, you still feeling pretty confident about that. And he's actually pretty funny. Had a How good interview. How weird is the rule where if it goes over the top of the goalpost, it's cool? Even though if that happens, it's not a that foot it's cool. Down. It's that the whole. It's kind of like you need uh, if you're going to throw past the line of scrimmage, both feet have to be past the line of scrimmage and the ball, right? Yeah. For that rule to be enacted, it's essentially the entire ball needs to be outside the outside part of the upright. Yes, but it's, it's that it's similar. <laughs> so if it goes directly over it, then the whole ball is not outside of it. But the difference being that what you are saying is that this this kick is good even though it's quite obvious that if it was a foot lower down it would smack the goalpost right in the middle and bounce back in your face oh well how is that as an odd rule yeah yeah i mean there's 
you know, there's there's a benefit to kicking it high. Sure. I mean, Just that look case. at the, the Evan McPherson. That was Evan McPherson. There are and, other there are other kickers that would not be able to get that ball high enough and therefore would have missed that kick by virtue of it doinking straight off the post. And look, McPherson's got some Tucker-type kicks, right? Booming 58-yarders that are perfect and yeah. all that stuff. He did look like he kind of kind of babied the extra point. We're getting some kicker analysis here. Oh, this is a great perfect. kicker matchup in this game. The quarterbacks, a little iffy. Can they I they say, both had some really nice drives in a, in a tough, hard-fought game, but this was a kicker battle for the ages. Absolutely. Can I, I, I went back and checked the tape. I took off that hoodie two hours and ten minutes ago, and you two just let me sit here with half of a... I didn't know what it was. Half of a cotton... I, I have enough to focus on. We've cotton got, plant sitting on my head and just let it, let it go. We got a 14-game mix we're trying to knock out in two and a half hours. We've already find, failed. You couldn't find three seconds to be like, would you, t- would you I don't know. I thought, get that crap off I your head? I thought like your hair was, was fighting back or something like that on just the right side. <laughs> All I could see is the right side. I thought your hair was fighting back. Spontaneously and, in the six seconds after I took yeah. the hoodie off. I mean, humans are... That's how your brain works? Humans are versatile. I didn't, I, I didn't connect it to the hoodie. I did see, you know, I noticed when you ran off camera, took the hoodie off because apparently came back it was too warm. With a you bunch came of fluff back. on my head. And you're get like, the, oh, look, his hair's regrowing. Yeah. Get the Leinster jersey That now. was your Occam's razor analysis on that, that I, play. I have enough to digest in the 14-game slate here that I just I can't, can't put that type of attention into whatever's growing on your head. Okay. That's fine. It's okay. Hey, we still have Monday Night Football to go. Did we miss any games? Did we talk about the Titans this week? Yeah. Good job, Titans. Somebody said we forgot the Titans one time. We never did. We forgot them at least two times. Maybe on the timestamp or something, but we talked about them. We've talked about every game so far this season. One more game. Chiefs, Raiders tonight. Oh, I'm going to be on Around the NFL after tonight, by the way, with uh, with Greg and the yeah. crew. crew. Late night around yeah. the NFL. Yeah. Nice. They do it right after Monday Night Football, so we got to figure out when to do the daily. Okay. That might run into our instant reaction time. Everybody, thumbs up. If you saw Sam's... Uh, Fuzz on his head. Give mm. the thumbs up on the way out. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. You have anything else? That's it. We got to no. go. Got to get to my other job. Yeah. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Week 5 NFL. Enjoy Monday Night Football. We'll be back on Wednesday on our midweek show.